This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast Season 5, Episode 10. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. We also have Hyman Lopez Jr. on the line in, on the com, I guess, in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Going good. Happy Thanksgiving for those of you who are recording on Thanksgiving Eve or evening. So, there you go. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Turkey. Or as we in Canada like to call it, Thursday. Thursday. Happy Thursday. Thanksgiving is a tradition so nice we do it twice, right? <laughs> well, I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the the fact that I work for an American company and it's Thanksgiving. That's that's always good. Oh yeah. All righty. Um. Cool. All right. So fact check: We uh, Tanak Huerta Mejia is a Mexican actor of Aztec, and I can't pronounce this other word. Purachi Purapecha origin so yes we were we were correct he is from deepest darkest mexico i guess in terms of in terms of heritage and stuff um cool and that's the fact check for today so we'll move on to the headlines yeah we'll kick things off this week with uh well this is almost follow-up we were talking about how the avatar sequels might go so we talked we've talked in past episodes about how Avatar has been in development. The sequels for Avatar have been in development for so long. And, you know, then we followed up with, well, what if they suck? And then we followed up with news that apparently that's something that James Cameron's aware of because he's saying, well, he could cut it off short. Well, this week we got a story that's on Variety.com where apparently they've acknowledged the fact that um, they have not said... They have not said what the budget was, but uh, when Cameron was asked by GQ, he said it was very F expletive expensive. <laughs> so um, to put it into perspective, what, what they said was uh, you have to be the third or fourth highest grossing film in history. That's your threshold. That's your break even. So if you look at that list, which they've kindly done for us here, that is Avatar at 2.9 billion, Avengers Endgame at 2.7 billion, Titanic in third at 2.1 billion, which means in order to break even, you're probably talking at about a little over $2 billion globally is what Avatar 2 has to make. Uh, I raised this one because I'm, I'm just curious. So Jaime, we know that you're you're still in the uh, the in between phase. You aren't going back to the movie theater. Do you think that this is going to make two billion bucks given the climate that we're currently in, with the you know three different kinds of colds going around and still people being paranoid and everything else? Or do you think this is like that big a draw? People will go and see it. Boy, I I think it will do well. It's really hard to gauge will it do two billion well. Because that's that's a lot to to ask for, right? Um, I feel like in the USA, barring folks like myself, people feel like COVID is basically over. I'm not saying it is before people send angry notes. Um, just the the vibe I get. So I don't think it will be as affected by uh, you know weirdo semi holdouts like myself. Um, it's certainly not enough of people like me to to keep them from getting to 2 billion. I wonder, is there enough to get them to 2 billion? And you know what? Looking at the, at the, 
the slate of movies that are out for Christmas time, there really isn't that much to take the family to uh, that is new. Um, certainly some things might still be in theaters like Black Panther and etc. But they're, they're kind of the only game in town, it seems, for this, um, this holiday season. So maybe it's not unreasonable. Yeah. I, I wouldn't bet money. I wouldn't bet good money on it, but I, you know, I might throw like Would you twenty bet two bucks billion on it. dollars on it. Yeah, I don't think I would go with with that. Uh, not straight from box office receipts. You know, the the theme park rides and the toys and the the Happy Meal promotions and stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But like just from ticket sales, that's that's a that's a tough one to climb. But that's also worldwide too, right? Yeah, it's true, but. Just for a little perspective, so Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which is currently in its second week of being the number one at the box office in, in the world, has made a little over $500 million. And that's coming in, you know, a couple of weeks before the American Thanksgiving holiday. I'm sure it'll probably pick up some business this weekend. Oh, I heard a f- really good pod talking about this the other day. It was the Ringerverse pod. They were talking about the fact that, and, and I'm not going to spoil anything for you, Jaime, but they were basically saying that this is not as instantly rewatchable as the original Black Panther. One of the things that made the first Black Panther so much of a phenomenon was that, particularly for African-Americans, they were going multiple times. They were, hey, it was great. I'm going to take some friends or I'm going to recommend it or I'll go see it again. Whereas this one, I mean, for obvious reasons, is a bit of a drag and a bit of a bummer and isn't instantly quite as much of a, hey, I want to go see that again, because it's kind of a bit of an emotional twister. So uh, that being said, it's made a pretty decent amount, especially given, you know, the, the you know, there's still people out there who are being cautious and, and everything else. But if it's made 500 million, it's going to play for several more weeks. It's going to play right into the holidays. I don't know if it's going to cross the billion threshold. It might, but that's a lot more to get where Avatar is. And I get that Avatar and, and Black Panther are not exact parallels, given you know Avatar did a ton of money globally, but that's still a lot of money—two billion bucks. So, so the question is, like, I guess for comparison's sake, what did, what did the first uh, Black Panther do? Because that was kind of you know earth-shattering kind of concept, because you know obviously. There's a lot of people who identified with the main character who didn't really have movies made for them before kind of thing. And so there was a huge buzz behind that movie. And I know it did pretty well. But so how did that compare like a pre-COVID Black Panther to a COVID Black Panther? Just looking up the numbers. So stay with me. I should have the IMDb open here. Let me look. Yeah. 1.344 billion US. Total. And that was like not like first week or whatever, right? No, that is all in, and that was a movie that came out at a different time of year, too. That came out in May of 2018, so different window, too, right? May is prime time, but it's hard to imagine, one, a pre-pandemic movie versus a post-pandemic movie, obviously, with Chadwick Boseman as the star, having had the momentum of coming out of uh, Avengers Civil War and or Captain America Civil War and some of that stuff. It's hard to imagine this having as much juice, but it's possible. Well, it remains to be seen. It's a gamble, I guess. And and is, so so is this the the if it doesn't make this, does this mean that the rest of the movies are dead? Or no, I don't made? think so. But I mean, you'd have to think that they would need to come closer to that than not for sure in order to to justify 
making more. It seems yeah, he must he must have pumped a lot of money into the in the technology again, you know, as he always does, right? So well, and and you know, I I admire him as the filmmaker James Cameron for doing that, but it doesn't come for free. And you know, as we were talking about when we went to see the the movie reissued to the theater, it's been a while. It's been quite a while, and technology's come a yeah, long, long yeah. way. And I'm sure he spent a lot of that time pushing the envelope and trying new things and. And that's amazing, and I'm sure it's going to make for a great movie, and maybe that's what powers it back up to the top. But, boy, that's that's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. No movie in the post-pandemic era has come even close to that. Not Spider-Man's, not, not anything so far. Cool. All right. What's happening with Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, this was a weird story. So... Chris Hemsworth, uh, a.k.a. Thor, God of Thunder for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has said he's going to take a break from acting because he's been working on this Disney Plus documentary series, uh, which is called Limitless. And as part of that, he underwent genetic testing and they were trying to, sort of, I guess, figure out, you know, uh, what his uh, what was in his genes. And it found out that he, from both of his parents, has inherited the genes that are uh, known for heightened risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So he is not, he does not have this yet. This is just, I think, him trying to deal with this. He is a dad. He is a husband. He is a, you know, a person. And, and. You know, he found out that this these markers that he has makes it eight to ten times more likely that he will develop the disease. And I think that kind of punched him in the gut. And so he's, you know, uh, uh, the article that I'm reading here is from the BBC. He basically says, you know, it's not like I've been handed, uh, not like I've handed, been handed my resignation. Um, but the news really triggered something in me and I want to take some time off. And if you look at Alzheimer's prevention, the best of preventative steps is that it affects the rest of your life. It's about sleep management, stress management, nutrition, movement, fitness, and all the same kind of tools that need to be applied in a consistent way. So I think he's now looking at this as, you know, I need to think about how I'm living the rest of my life so that I can sort of keep this at bay for as long as possible. Uh, what this means for the future of Thor or anything else is uh, really interesting. He's, you know, he's a relatively young man. He's 39, you know, sort of creeping towards middle age. Um, And obviously, if you've seen him, um, he's in really tremendous physical health, but uh, that does not affect, obviously, what's in your genes. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of shocking and and sad. and, And at the same time, you know, I think it's kind of inspiring that somebody who is at the top of his craft and very successful is, you know, being quite measured and thoughtful about this. He's not like, that's tomorrow's problem. He's taking steps and doing things the right way. It's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, kind of a kind of a surprise from having done the show and finding that out, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, not, not what you expect to sign up when you sign up for a Disney Plus show, right? Yeah, what's the worst that can happen, right? <laughs> yeah, well, apparently this is it. Um, speaking of sort of uh, end of the road, or hopefully not Chris Hemsworth, but uh, Gary Oldman mentioned this week when being interviewed about his upcoming movie, uh, Slow Horses, or it's a TV show, Slow Horses. Yeah, he said that, uh, you know, he is now sort of getting to a point where he's kind of feeling like his acting career might need to to wind down. He he told uh, 
He told the Times of London, I've had an enviable career, but careers wane, and I do have other things that interest me outside of acting. When you're young, you think you're going to get around to doing all of them. Read that book, and then the years go by. I'm 65 next year. 70 is just around the corner. I don't want to be active when I'm 80. I'd be very happy and honored and privileged to go out as Jackson Lamb, the character he's playing in Slow Horses, and then hang it up. Uh, so, not committal. He's not like saying, I'm done. This is this is my final role. And we've certainly seen actors sort of, you know, say these things and then come back if they get the right part or, you know, something comes up. But I mean, this, this is, again, as far as being in the genre stuff, I mean, this is Commissioner Gordon. This is, you know, somebody who's been, you know, he, obviously he was uh, Zerg in there, not Zerg, what was his name? In um, Fifth Element. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's been a big part of the the genre stuff for 35 years. Uh, and one of the most lauded actors of, of his generation. So it'd be really weird if he was just in a, just to hang it up. Yeah, he played Sid and Nancy thing first, I think, was his, one of his breakthrough movies. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, Leon, the professional. Um, he's the bad guy. He's the bad cop in that one. And he's awesome mm. in that. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm obviously, you know, you can't say you didn't get enough of him. He's been a prodigious actor for, for as I say, 30 years. 40 almost 40 years so you can't say you didn't get a lot but um yeah it's kind of a weird thing yeah, he's great in slow horses too i know you guys haven't seen it yet but yeah it's definitely worth watching so is this is a spy show no he, he's um he's an mi5 agent um but he's like he's at you know he's a desk he's a, he's at behind a desk now right kind of thing and um he's been sent off we don't know why, but he's been sent off to this um, house called Slow Horses, right? It's, it's actually it's, it's a it's a part of London. I forget the name of it, but it they, they nickname it Slow Horses, and and all the sort of people that get sent there are sort of the the, the troubled kids, right? Mm. Um, the, the 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 screw ups and that kind of stuff, and and they're sort of sent there to be, and he's like super like knows the industry inside out, upside down, and backwards kind of thing, and very intuitive very very um very smart and and knows the system and that kind of stuff so he's it's it's a really interesting sort of take on a you know the old wise fart that just knows every sort of angle and stuff like that and and these young kids that he's working with you know the 20 30 or 20 year old 30 year olds that are in the spy game learning the craft from him right so it's pretty good yeah i'm gonna look one up sounds good yeah on apple tv yeah. All right. I think I think season two is coming out soon. Did they say in the article here? Mm, I don't know. I think sometime around Christmas is coming out. Soon. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's let's turn to some more positive news. So uh, this week, after finding out basically a while back that uh, Judy Gatwa is going to be playing Doctor Who in the 2023 upcoming season, we found out now who he's going to be his companion. So uh, they announced that. 18-year-old Coronation Street star, uh, her name is Millie Gibson, is going mm-hmm. to be the lone companion for the the new incoming Time Lord. Um, this is interesting in that it's kind of a return to a different type of, of Doctor Who. So for the last few uh, series, we've had more of a team, team Who as opposed to a singular companion. Well, that's not true. It's only for it's only for the thirteenth Doctor. They've had more than one person at a time. Well, I guess that's not true. Matt Smith had a couple. He had Rory and and Amy Pond, right? But yeah, no, it's true. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's come and gone a little bit, but it has been four or five years since we've sort of seen a singular as opposed to, yeah, you're right, the last Doctor had a, a whole... Well, no, Capaldi had Bill, right? And um, who did he have before Bill? Oh, well... Oh, he had uh, Clara, what's her uh, name? Yes, Clara, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely been, you know, ups and downs and, and different configurations, but... Uh, yeah, interesting. And then again, obviously, she's, you know, uh, a young woman. So, the you know, male-female dynamic, although, um, as we talked about in the past, I think uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if how they play the doctor's um, sexual orientation or if that comes up at all, given uh, the fact that Judy is out. So I wonder if that'll be put, written part in or how that's going to be, a, how that's going to be adapted. Again, he's from Gallifrey. Mm-hmm. Does it matter? No, and it doesn't. And obviously, for somebody whose body can switch, not just, uh, you know, uh, physical characteristics, but, you know, colors of skin and, you know, uh, genitals and et cetera, obviously, you'd be a lot less up on that stuff, right? So I, I wonder, I wonder if they will ever, you know, like, it, it is a bit of a, there's, it's a romancy show, but it's not a, although it's, it's funny, because the Matt Smith stuff, there was definitely, like, that wasn't just... Like this, the stuff way back when with David Tennant and um, Rose, right? The, that that was romancy. The stuff with Matt Smith and uh, River was dirty. Like she was like coming on to him in a much more sexual way. But the show is generally reasonably chaste. It's it's more romancy than it is sexy. So yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see how these sort of things play out over time if we'll sort of see sexy doctor well a doctor who also had a, a, a some time with queen victoria too so <laughs> yes okay uh next up some sad news um i i have i'll be honest i've never seen the show not once uh but the power rangers are immensely popular so i thought i would bring this one to the table uh, Jason David Frank, one of the original Power Rangers, uh, has died at the age of 49, very unexpectedly. Um, a lot of people I know who are fans were very, very shocked and saddened by this, uh, this sudden, uh, sudden death. Uh, apparently he was originally the Green Ranger and then he came back as the White Ranger and was a fan favorite character. It was very popular at conventions and, uh, part of the sort of Power Ranger community and uh yeah I, I saw quite a number of uh of people commenting and just you know oh this guy was so nice and blah blah, blah mm-hmm. and you know uh definitely seemed like um yeah like a, a good dude and uh i think a lot of people were really caught off guard by his passing uh, jaime are you a, are you a power rangers fan i was just on the outside edge of the power rangers um fan base so uh, i'm not deeply familiar with beyond probably the first season so adding into here the 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 conference well actually the power rangers were the first five and tommy was a villain ranger created by the villain uh the green ranger so you had that correct and he did eventually become uh, a good power ranger sort of suffered from that um that TV trope or movie trope of like the Green Ranger alone can kick all five of our butts, but when he comes and joins us as a good guy, he's just like as powerful as any one of us, right? <laughs> kind of things like you might see in video games too. Um, but 
definitely an, an OG character from the, the first season. Um, you, you mentioned the, the MMA thing. You mentioned the coming back as uh, the White Ranger in, in later seasons. Um, it's really sad to see somebody die so young. And it's really weird. Uh, thankfully, this article has a picture of the, the original uh, cast. It's really weird to have the Green Ranger and the Yellow Ranger from here uh, die. I mean, certainly Power Rangers mm-hmm. have been on long mm-hmm. enough that, like, there's been so many actors. Surely somebody will, you know, have something unfortunate happen. But it's really weird that this original cast has two members who have died well before their time. So really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're mentioning that's, um, I don't know how to pronounce names, the Thai? Tui? Tui? I'm not sure how do you pronounce Tui Trang, the Yellow Ranger? Yeah. She, yeah. She, yeah, so she died in 2001 following a car accident. I, I must admit, I didn't, didn't know that either, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. obviously, you know. Uh, but wasn't the Power Rangers like a Japanese show first, or is it yes. an American? Yes, it, it's uh, it's one of those shows that has the, um, you know, they, they're, there's like Voltron-esque. Uh, each of them has their own, uh, you know, thing that they pilot. Um you know, the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex or a pterodactyl, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they come together Voltron style. If folks remember that show from the eighties and create like a super robot, the Megazord. And so each of them has their colors and everything. And it was this show that had a completely different name of fairly similar premise of, you know, people are in these suits and they, they, they do Kung Fu karate. They fight a villain. Right. And they took a lot of that footage of the the Japanese actors in these, you know, uh, fully masked out helmets doing all the fighting moves and said, all right, how can we stitch this together with this American cast of teenagers and uh, and fill in the plot line? So in a like 20 ish minute episode, you probably have about, you know, seven to 10 minutes of of. Japanese footage and then the remaining is filler of like oh look at these wacky kids these teenagers they're they're doing normal <laughs> teenage stuff there's usually some sort of moral you know story kind of thing of like oh you know don't work too hard uh, it to the point where your your studies go wrong you know studying is 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 a thing you have to do healthy you know that sort of stuff um so i i know that that went on for a very long time i think modern power rangers they do actually have budget to create their own stuff i don't think it's all um just taken for the japanese footage so you would see weird things like we just mentioned uh tui trang who was the yellow ranger that was a male character in the japanese one so the only female character was the pink ranger uh, mm. so when it came to america they kind of had to to change it up a bit and uh, it is a little unfortunate that they made the. Uh, and this is a key and peel sketch here. This is where that came from. It's unfortunate that they made the the Asian character the Yellow Ranger, and that they made the black uh, character the Black Ranger. Uh, which uh, yeah, just rounding it out. That's where that key and peel sketch where they're doing like a Power Rangers thing is like, okay, uh, cut the chatter, Black Ranger is like black. Uh, no, I'm I'm the Green Ranger. Wait, are you saying cut the chatter, <laughs> Black Ranger? <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of shows we don't watch, um, I, I I assume you guys never watched Yellowstone. Nope. I've never I've never watched Yellowstone. Anyway, but but this fits in with our story or our sort of show theme or at least our headline theme, in that um, 
there was an interesting spike in Paramount Plus network uh, sales and, and hits and, and stuff like that because apparently the fifth season, I didn't even know there was five, uh, three seasons of Yellowstone, but the fifth season of Yellowstone, which is apparently a very popular show, rolled out on November 13th um, on on the Paramount network, right? And uh, everybody, you know, jumped on their Paramount Plus and signed up and you know, dropped their, their credit card down to, to watch the show, but it turned out it wasn't actually on the Paramount Plus network. It was on the Paramount network, which is a different, owned by Paramount, but a different thing. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know, the CW of Paramount or whatever, I guess. And so there's, so both of these two, if you look at the chart that's there, both of these had uh, a huge spike. Uh, the Paramount Plus kind of spiked for a bit and then like over, over 100,000 hits. And then uh, drops off sharply because it turned out that the actual show was on the other Paramount network. So, you know, lessons learned here. One, um, be careful how you name your network, <laughs> even if it's your own property. Um, yeah, and imagine the the, the uh, customer support calls I got from people all over the world, right, who were all over North America or maybe Southern America. I don't know. But, yeah, they basically, um, you know, Paramount Plus grew by 125,000 uh, connections uh, five grew five times its size, so hmm. you know I'm sure it gave uh, Disney and uh, Apple a scare, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, all because of one show. Who knew? It's like I guess it's the the uh, Game of Thrones for cowboy hat wearing cowboy people, right? Horse people, <laughs> cowboy hat wearing cowboy people. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently pretty popular. Uh, so I didn't realize that the rights were so uh, bonkers for Yellowstone. So that is sort of speaking to things that like we saw with Disney where it's like, Oh, what's going to happen to all this Marvel stuff that's on Netflix? Like, Oh, <laughs> they just cut the contracts and eventually waited for it all to come over to their mega network, uh, uh streaming network. Right. And apparently Yellowstone yeah. is kind of caught in that weird nuttiness related to Paramount network and, and Peacock and stuff, but independent of the streaming rights, which are nuts. Um, I was aware of one of these, uh, prequel series so there's yellowstone takes place i think roughly in modern age it seems you know just about modern times there's a prequel series that i was aware of on paramount plus called 1883 and then there's apparently going to be a interquel series called 1923 coming out this december these are you're talking about the, the yellowstones right yeah yeah so they it, it, i think the full title is like 1883 uh uh a a Yellowstone prequel or story or something. And I assume that 1923 will say the same thing. So right. it's the same kind of um, Game of Thrones is actually a pretty good analogy where it's like, you know, it's the Targaryens all the way through, right? From House of Dragons all the way to uh, to Game of Thrones. And here, I, my understanding is it's the same kind of, you know, family owns this um, this land and they've owned it for, you know, what's 1883, 150 years or so, um, generational kind of ownership, what, what trials and tribulations that they go through seems like that is, uh, you know, an interesting play for Paramount, but they've, they've got these, I think still running Yellowstone, right? Season five, what it says here in the internet. Yeah. Season five is the one just come out. Yeah. Yeah. While they're simultaneously running 1883, which came out in 2021. And as I mentioned, 1923, which is coming out this December 18th. Yeah, I do. I do see Yellowstone on one of one of my streaming services. I just sort of skip right by. I don't even blink. Right, but um, I, you know, I'm tempted to watch it because I, I do know it's a, it's a, it's a obviously very popular. But 
3,500% uh, increase in downloads for the two two apps between the, the Paramount Plus and the Paramount app. So apparently you have to, you have to, it only came out on the app or something like that, right? Very strange. Yeah, somebody yeah. somewhere was a site reliability engineer and spit out their coffee as in the middle of the night. They're like, what's <laughs> happening with our stats? Are we, are we getting attacked? What's happening? Where, where are all these downloads coming from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, speaking of hidden treasure, that's your cue, John. Oh, here, here I am. <laughs> so, speaking of buried treasure, uh, popular film from the 1980s, The Goonies. Uh, I think a lot of us grew up as as fans of that movie. It, it has sort of had some legs. My kids are also fans. Uh, the house that the, uh, the the main family live in in uh, Astoria, Oregon, which is where the show is set. Uh, is going up for sale or is now up for sale um if you recall the the, the uh, movie it's got this you know cool wraparound porch it is uh sits right on the confluence of uh, a river and the pacific ocean the columbia river and the pacific ocean the hell built in 19, uh, 1896 and uh yeah for the low price of 1.7 million bucks Fully loaded with history, nostalgia, and an iconic level of fame, you can own the house where the Goonies found the map and started their adventure. That's pretty cool, I gotta say. That would be a fun buy. Yeah, until the people started showing up and taking selfies in front of your house every day. Yeah, but then, you know, you just launch things at them like Data would. <laughs> yeah. Data? <laughs> data from these data? The Asian from the movie or from... Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. No, I, again, I've I've watched it as an adult. It's not really burned. It's not really seared into my brain like it might be with yours, right? Well, I'm uh, old enough slash young enough to have seen it in the movie theater. So, oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, it's out at the old Playhouse movie theater in downtown Oakville, which now is like I think it's a cafe or something. Is but, it Spielberg uh, movie or what is it? Who's the? Uh, it's Richard Donner. Uh, is actually the oh. uh, yeah the Superman the, um... and then, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that's the one with um, Brolin, right? Josh Brolin. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and um, Samwise Gamgee. Yeah, it's like again, it's all all kinds of familiar Ricky, faces. Ricky, what's the, the young kid that had the trouble with the drugs and the stuff? Mm. Uh, oh my God, I see his face. He did Donatello's yeah, voice. The glasses, the right? The kid with the glasses. Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. Feldman. There Corey. you go. Thank yeah. you, Jaime. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. At least, at least we'll get some hits on our uh, our um, tag this week from him. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it's all about dimensions, man. All righty. And uh, Jaime, you got one more story. Yeah, this one practically, you know, overlaps with more than just code uh, topics. So if you followed along at all with this whole uh ftx uh debacle so ftx is the the cryptocurrency digital assets investments uh exchange platform whatever you think of it uh they they cratered real fast from you know this uh, huge high and ended up bringing down a whole bunch of varying um services and etc that had built themselves upon the uh the, the deck of cards the house of cards and Amazon has apparently already greenlit a mini series based on FTX. So I am going to assume that this will be like uh, We Crashed, covering uh, WeWork over on Apple TV Plus, or the um, uh, the Dropout 
covering uh, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos over on um, who had that Hulu. You know, this sort of like let's tell the story while it's kind of fresh in people's minds of the the dramatization of of what exactly went wrong here. So not a whole lot of details. There is uh, the fact that the Russos are involved from the ones who worked on uh, Avengers Infinity War. I think as producers. Been a while since I read this one, but yeah, no, so. they were they were the directors for uh, yeah, uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Captain America: Civil War, Avengers: Endgame, and Avengers: Infinity War. So, like the biggest and best of the of the Marvel movies, basically. Oh y- yes, uh, to, to to add nuance, uh, I think they're they're going to be producing this series. You're right; they did oh, they did sorry, direct they did direct Avengers: yeah. Infinity War. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these guys can pretty much get involved in any project I think that they want to now. Cool. I mean, just to entice you, not that it, you know, I need to 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 pre-sell you on a show. So besides the whole like um, you know, Enron-esque, you know, financial shenanigans going on, there is um a CEO, not this dude, not Sam Bankman Fried. There's a CEO that looks they're like they're like 12 that has, you know, like no real world experience you have. Uh, supposed like company orgy kind of thing going on that who knows you know this is all from the internet who knows what's real or not so like it it seems like it's a real interesting story even if you literally know nothing about crypto know nothing about ftx i don't know that a lot of people knew a whole lot about uh you know elizabeth holmes and theranos and yet uh, i think they found the the show pretty compelling especially with uh, amanda seafried as the as the main character so keep an eye out. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll be uh, a, a fun one. Well, it's a good way for somebody to make money off of FTX, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, if you lost money on that, maybe you invest in the movie. No, I'm thinking like maybe maybe the guy who started started the, you know the genius um, prodigy guy who started it is probably behind paying for the rights or sold his rights to it to get the money back. Right? <laughs> yeah, really. So that needs to be a TV show or movie, right? Of like, I'm going to commit a crime so huge that it will make yeah. a ton of money from book sales, podcasts, movies, merchandise, etc. That does seem to be a pretty, pretty common calculus these days, right? So, yeah, cool. I'll tell you, pay for your legal defense. Yeah, 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 true. All right, we're at the main part of the show where we talk about something Star Trek, and this week we're doing Prodigy, Star Trek Prodigy, Season 1, Episode 15. Seems like this has been on for more than one season, though, I guess because of the break. Uh, This week we're talking about Masquerade, and uh, we'll do our elevator pitches. Who's up first? Who wrote the elevator? Is it Sean Jonathan? I, I I wrote this one. I can read mine. Uh, A a mission to repair the protostar goes sideways when Romulans attack, but thankfully the crew has a juiced up Dal on their side. Yeah, and and Murph can kick butt. That's right. (laughs) As long as he's got his phasers on stun. Yeah, yeah, true. How about you, honey? You got an elevator pitch? You know, try to write mine in the in the uh, not really an elevator pitch, more of like a like a title going along with the idea that this is uh, introduction to Star Trek, a Nickelodeon show, uh, my first eugenics class. Or eugenics course, if you prefer. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're going to get the kids into sci-fi, they're just going to have to learn, and it's better they learn young how to deal with eugenics, <laughs> so they know how to deal with that as adults. Wow. <laughs> well, that's dark, but excellent. <laughs> yeah, interesting show. 
but I'm I'm going to go along with with your your two things. Um, I mean, it's just it's sort of a uh, um, it's an interesting show. Like, it's still it's it does sort of hit a lot of the Star Trek marks, but um, but it's still very much sort of a Saturday morning kind of uh, cartoonish show. I mean, it, it does sort of. I think the eugenics angle, I was thinking about that today when they started talking about the, the DNA and stuff like that. It does seem to gear itself towards a, an older audience, even though some of the, the characters are cute and fuzzy and stuff like that, right? So we learn a little bit more about um, Dal, the, our, our main character, that he's in fact been manufactured and not really born in a test tube as opposed to having actual parents, right? Or at least they, that's what they think, right? He's sort of the best of put together by all the best best features of all the different species out there, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way they sort of put it. They say that he's baseline human, but then mm-hmm. has had all these other genetic markers sort of added into his system. And we see, uh, so the way that it sort of plays out over the episode, so when he gets this sort of modification, he can basically press a button on the back of his neck that allows him to then, you know, kick some of these traits in place that can give him augmented abilities. It's particularly pertinent because of the reveal at the end of this episode where we see yeah, someone exactly. who has a similar button on the back of their neck and we realize what her uh, genetic heritage seems to be. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously spoilers, there, there'll be spoilers here, but at the end of the episode, we see that uh, the Ensign Essencia, who has been working with Vice Admiral Janeway, um, has actually all this time been an undercover member of the same species as um, as Gwyn and her dad, right? The Diviner. Yeah, yeah. And has somehow also smuggled aboard uh, the, uh, oh God, what's the robot's character's name? Uh, Dreadnought, oh, I think he was. Yeah. Dread, Dreadnought. Dreadnought, yeah. Yeah, Dreadnought. So, yeah, that's, that was a bit of a twist. That was very interesting, though, because in that moment, like, I knew from reading the credits that Jamila Jamila was doing the voice of Essentia. And I thought... Oh, really? It's funny because you wouldn't recognize it because she's doing she did on She-Hulk. She's using an American accent. And, you, of course, when you think of Patricia Jamila, you hear her natural English accent. Uh, so even when she's been performing it, I haven't really been front of mind thinking it's Jamila Jamila. But even in this episode, she's just doing that part where she was being Essentia and talking to the Diviner. And I kept thinking, you know, this is a strangely small role for an actress of her profile who has gotten some successful parts and has sort of gaining stature. It seemed like a really small role for her to take on. I'm like, oh, there you go. There's the twist. That's why she's she's actually one of the bad guys and is going to have a more central role. That makes much more sense. Okay. Yep. Yeah. In in this one uh, this particular character was uh was my big question of like who is this ensign really right um the internet for a while uh, had been saying like oh you know you you overlay the character models it looks so much like gwyn is this actually gwyn um you know uh, past gwyn i guess who will become future gwyn it, it kind of depends on who you believed so people weren't really that far off here that the character mm-hmm. design uh, was a hint as to who this this person was. So, so kudos to those folks. Yeah, true. So I guess that's a, a good follow-up question. Jaime, do you think that this is meant to be future Gwen? I'm unclear. The, the timey-wimey stuff going on with the Diviner was already complicated enough as it was that like, oh, 50 years hence from Chakotay, uh, you know, saying, what's up? Starfleet is here. We exist in, dis- in unintentionally destroying their their society. 
um, is extra weird when you have a, a, a Terminator 2-esque, oh, there was more than one person who went back in time to change the past sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really know yeah. uh, how that's going to work out. But I mean, if she was if she was future Gwen, why doesn't she know where the protostar is, and why doesn't she she know where Gwen is? You know, I, I guess that's the question: is it it's is she supposed to be you know alternate timeline? Is it supposed to be divergence? Is it supposed to be memory impairment? I mean, that's the part I I was sort of not clear coming out of this episode when I saw that too at the same moment of oh, it, she's the same species. Oh, is that Gwen or is that someone else? She kind of the way she kind of revealed herself. She certainly looks like a more adult version of Gwen. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if we're supposed to in that moment if we're supposed to realize that that is future Gwen or if we're supposed to be like, oh, maybe, and then to be continued. I, I didn't. I will say that's the one sort of fault for animation is it's really hard to gauge those subtleties sometimes. Sure, and it's interesting that they use the MacGuffin of the button on the back of the neck to to explain to the kiddos what's going on, right? You know. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms your, of Easter eggs, your... we yeah we had one uh, that we sort of passed over that that Dell uh, and his species or himself are a product of work done by descendants of Eric Sung. So this is one yeah. that right, again, right. no kid is going to know this because this is their first Star Trek, right? But interesting for. Uh, what we presume to be the parents who lived through Voyager, who lived through Enterprise, they hopefully recognize that name as being important for the Enterprise uh, TV show in particular. Mm-hmm. Beyond just the, you know, the 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 Sungs are the Targaryens of Star Trek kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So this character is a descendant of Nunyan Sung. Well, I, I, I I'm right. interested in how you all heard the episode because I may have heard incorrectly. I am unclear if Dal himself is a like he certainly interprets it as like i'm a test tube baby but i interpreted it as he and perhaps his you know his parents and etc were you know like some species created by the the augments descendants uh, uh work so that that was a little like they could have laid it out a little bit easier for me to understand you know was does he literally have no parents in the like you know uh born from from a, a womb sort of thing or is it more like, um, you know, we, we created your species by augmenting humans and, and patching them with Klingons and Vulcans and Proto-Organian DNA and et cetera, and Betazoid DNA. Did you all catch that better than I did? Because I was a little unclear. I, 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 think, I think I caught them say that it was descendant. Because, I mean, obviously this is in the future from where um, Picard and... and um, the next generation are right like this is this is yeah because chakotay yeah. is, uh, is well i don't know it's a good question right so if, if admiral jane now has whiter hair is this supposed to be proximate well, to Jan- picard well janeway and janeway and and picard are sort of from the same class of 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 captains right aren't they like they're yeah i got the impression she was younger well wait a minute Worf Worf crosses over right no he crosses no over he crosses over with chest nine yeah. So, but then Ro, doesn't Ensign Rowe cross over from no two shows? No, but that was the plan was to have her be the what ended up being the Kira Norris character in DS Nine. Oh, yeah. she was going to show Forbes didn't want to do it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I get she, the impression she didn't want to commit to doing a, ser- a series. 
So this show, just because there's ambiguity, this show I do not think is all that close to Star Trek Picard. I think it's much closer to Lower Decks in terms of time frame. I've I've not done the math. I've not checked the star dates. Uh, But oh, I sense I sense a fact check coming up. But but uh, Picard and Janeway are like close enough, right? In the like horseshoes sense of like contemporaries, both captains at the same time. He is clearly a more experienced captain uh, by the time that, that she rolls around to become captain of Voyager. She's considerably younger. It's not like they went to school together or anything. But um, isn't Jane, Jane was in one of the movies, isn't she? Like, didn't she talk yeah, to I mean, so them they, on the con? They overlap in lifetime and everything, but, you know, um, by like a but decade or more difference. But everybody too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but so what I'm trying to say though is that like if Soong is within the sort of time space time space like generation of you know millennia you know alpha you know Gen X like if he if Soong is in the same sort of time frame as Picard and Janeway and this story takes place in Janeway's future then this Eric Soong is a descendant of Noonien Soong. No, I I interpreted this, and and this might be a fact too. I interpreted this based on what they said about the augmentation stuff as Eric Soong from Enterprise, so he would have been considerably earlier. And and Eric's descendants, it would kind of make sense that you know they they splintered off, went and did their own thing, and you know messed what, around. What do you mean by Enterprise? DNA. You mean the TV show Enterprise? Yes, Star Trek Enterprise. There was an Soong on that one. Yeah, remember when they. They went off on a tangent to explain why Klingons had uh, ridges and Forehead then ridges. Some, yeah. some of them didn't for a while. And then they did again by TNG era or, yeah. you know, Star Trek motion picture. There was a whole plot line there around yeah. uh, a predecessor to Noonien Soong, who I believe was Eric Soong. Ah, oh, okay. So I think that was the statement they made here of like descendants of Eric Soong continued we'll have to consult the work. memory alpha yeah archive yeah cool oh by the way uh, fact check i forgot to tell this that's what i was going to say uh, a real-time fact check um the goonies was presented by steven spielberg mm, okay so he must have been a producer, producer or something yeah. producer yeah. yeah yeah i just happened to say that in the beginning of the trailer so yeah. before people start yelling and throwing things at their phones stop hitting your phone it's not the phone's fault <laughs> Was uh, was another Easter egg that that was uh, formerly Captain, now Admiral Jellicoe that Janeway was talking to? Yes, yeah. that was a hundred percent Admiral Jellicoe. Yeah, it was a Ronnie Cox. Still a tool. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to see some things don't change. Yeah, that was the, Ronnie Cox. Yeah, Ronnie Cox as as uh, Jellicoe, and then uh, at one point when uh, Kona is relaying his amazing adventures to the to the young crew. He's telling the story of the Jewel of Thesia, which is from the very first episode we meet him in, in TNG. That's the one where it's basically the Romeo and Juliet story of the, you know, the jewel's gone missing. Everybody thinks Kona stole it. They Two races are blaming each other, but it turns out that the one kid wanted to give it to the other kid as a betrothal gift. And anyway, so that's, he's telling a bit of the end of that story to to the kids on from the protostar and and that's of course that's his that's his star trek origin story so. okay so fact check here on on eric soon it says eric soon was a brilliant doctor of genetics from the 22nd century i'm lost i don't know which century we're in um which i guess is just the century after this one or two yeah next century right 
he believed that humanity's abandonment of the gen genetic engineering after the eugenics war was a mistake, and he hoped to show that genetically engineered human beings would not necessarily become tyrant like Khan Noonien Singh. Um, yeah. So yeah. So so twenty second. So which is Picard and those guys in the twenty third or twenty fourth century? Most of the twenty fourth. Yeah. Twenty fifth. I think they just went into in Star Trek Picard, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Or yeah. I think you're right. Along with my my pitch on this being my first eugenics class for the kiddos, my quote was from uh, the Dr. Jago commercial on the elevator that they see the. Uh, don't let your genes impede your dreams. A, <laughs> a nice catchphrase if you're in the business of uh, modifying people's genes. Yeah. Uh, I had a bunch of questions. I, I had the same question as you about Rock Helmet. But I, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to give credit to Xavier, uh, my, my son, on this one. because So they're in the elevator. The elevator is, is supposed to be, you know, space elevators take them up to space. There's a whole bunch of problems with this scene. Uh, although it's, you know, it's good pew pew pew. It's just, it, you got to suspend some disbelief in here. So they realize that the Romulans are about to blast the windows in from both sides. Okay, so we'll forgive the fact that the air is going to be super thin, uh, so they need to put on these helmets, fine. So these space helmets all drop down. They're all four of them are the same size. And they're like, better put the helmets on so we can breathe up here. Cool. They all put the helmets on, but Rock Talk's head is six times the size of everybody else's and it fits. So that's yeah. an interesting engineering. and. Interesting you know, that she puts it on off camera too, right? Yeah, and as Xavier said, so they just chuck these helmets on. Like, what is that doing for you? Like, how it? Like, what's the what's the science behind this? It's just a helmet. Would they not freeze? Like, is there is, is there more to this? Like, what's going on? I was like, yeah, these are all fair questions. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you if you watch uh, the Expanse or you watch any sort of um, the uh, what's the one with um, the for all mankind. Um, it's totally plausible that people can survive outside in a vacuum for, you know, 10 minutes or something. So, cause they all, they all seem to, you know, they all get like burns and stuff on their face, but, um, it, I mean, it's been, it's been proven in other science fiction shows that it's possible to survive in a vacuum of space. Uh, so there you go. Oh yeah, I think that's a but science that, actually, that's, But that said, that said though, in, in terms of the way astronaut suits are made, um, an astronaut suit can survive a hole the size of a quarter for five to ten minutes. Yeah. Like in terms of like, you know, you're not going to lose all the air in your thing. But but you're right. Astronauts actually are in, for all intents and purposes, a human body shaped space or capsule. Like they're not actually, it's not just clothing they're wearing. They're actually in a little tiny spaceship, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So on top of that one. The elevators are all going up. They're having this like chase scene. Why are there's three elevators? Why are they all going at different speeds? Is that did that not seem like I don't know? Maybe I'm just applying like it's logic of elevators. Effect, I think dramatic yeah. effect. I get it. I was just like at one point they're like they're gaining on us. I'm like they're in an elevator. I'm like how do they get the elevators to go faster? Is that a thing? Why don't you just press stop and go back you jump down? Up, you jump like, up and down when you're in the elevator, but it makes you go faster. Yeah, it's just, it just felt a little bit. I was like, hey, okay. Uh, and the last one I had was so the solution to the problem was that the. At the end of the last episode, the protostar was damaged. They went into the neutral zone to get away from, from uh, Vice Admiral Janeway and her ship. And they are now basically sitting on the other side of the neutral zone, and they're monitoring what's going on in there. And the order comes from Jelko, hey, 
you can't let the Romulans get their hands on the protostar. If it comes to that, destroy that ship. And she's like, well, I don't want to, but fine. So they get to the point where they're like, uh-oh, looks like the Romulans are going to get the ship. They're like, cool. We're just going to fire these two photon torpedoes into the neutral zone that are going to target the ship and blow up. Is that not in and of itself an act of war? Like, it's are you allowed clear. to? You're not allowed to cross into the neutral zone, but we can fire mil- militia in there as much as we want. Like, that seems like a bit of a stretch, too. It certainly seems to, you know, go against the spirit, but may not be against the actual letter of the uh, the treaty. Because there, there have been occasions, I think, in like TNG and stuff, where they can send probes in, which makes it a little unclear as to like, can you just continuously do that? Uh, it does raise questions of like, hey, we think there might be Romulans because the Romulans like constantly violate the treaty. Right. They just like only yeah. care about it when they think the Federation is going to violate it. So would you be at fault? Now, granted, space is huge. So I'm not saying it's like a, a an easy thing to do. But could you just like just pew, 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 like as much and just carpet bomb the heck out of it as much as you could, just hoping that you might hit a random Romulan vessel? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it certainly seems like it pushes it way more to to do that what i'm suggesting than the um you know sniper <laughs> torpedoes that they use in uh in this case but i it certainly doesn't feel clean right it's it's more clean than uh actually crossing into the neutral zone that that janeway wanted and jellico said do not do that uh but i don't it it, it doesn't feel right to do that yeah i just thought that that was one where like you're trying to teach the kids this is if this is starter track and you're trying to teach the kids about the rules, teaching them about the neutral zone. Very smart, because the neutral zone comes up in all kinds of Star Trek over the years. Very important lesson. Could Let's teach the kids about the neutral zone. And the first episode where they're dealing with the neutral zone, they're like, yeah, you can fire missiles in there. That's no problem. Just don't cross this line. Yeah, it's the I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you thing where you're <laughs> hovering a millimeter away He's from the base. on my side of the bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not I, actually I, touching you. No. I, do, I don't do, know do about that older, one. It's, I have older weird. siblings, Jaime, the, the ones that would, the, my brother used to sit over top of me and like hawk loogies that didn't actually hit me, but were going to hit me. And I would get really mad. He'd be like, I'm not actually doing anything. Yeah, that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah, big brothers, the best. Yeah. Man. Send, your, send your cards and condolences to uh, at Spockcast. Yeah. So the... The pew pew pew, I think everybody says, is probably the fighting the the Tal Shiar. Uh, I added a bonus here that it also adds a life lesson for kids to not hold metal objects during a storm. That is, that is, that is a, a plot point that I'm like, yeah, this is like a, a helpful tip for kids. Don't don't run around with your dad's golf club into the storm. You will get hit by lightning. <laughs> Yeah, what did she say to put put down? They they have to put down or let go of something. Romulans were going to use they... like a like a like a, a a spear or or like a spear gun, yeah, kind like of a thing. harpoon gun or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like electrical. It's like a like a taser kind of thing. But but at one point, just before the, I think I forget, I forget who it was Rock Talk or or Gwen says drop that thing, and they all drop the things, and then and then the Romulans all get zapped. Right. Yep. Yeah, Gwyn was going to use her um, her armband. Oh, her, her augment. Her augment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was yeah. yeah. yeah I think I think uh, um, Rock Talk says, uh, "Yeah, let go of your your augment." Yeah, 
because she realizes what's going to happen. I like the fact that uh, Janeway is able to get the um, the photon torpedoes to turn left because you know physics. <laughs> yeah, who knew that you could just like steer those still? Like they, in all past episodes of Star Trek, haven't they just been like that's how they killed uh, uh, General Chang at the end of Star Trek Six? Right? They like fire the thing and then it finally hog locks on and it knocks. You know, like who knew you could just steer them in whatever you wanted? Well, yeah, I guess it was magnetic. I guess you, you could have them attracted to something, but yeah, yeah, who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, because, you know, Newton was wrong, right? <laughs> In the vacuum of space. Yeah. I can hear you scream. The uh, best quote, the, the no-brainer one for the kitties is, if it's too good to be true, then it probably is. Speaking of moral lessons, that's a good one for the kitties. But, um... I, I the the first one when Dal starts choosing up, and he's like, "You want Captain? You've got him." I was like, "Okay, that's pretty funny." But the funnier one is when he's like, "All the things are happening. All the mutations are all happening for all the species." And he's, he's like, "What is that? Why am I leaking?" And there's like stuff just like flowing out of him, and the look of revulsion on the rest of the crew is like, "Yeah, dude, you're leaking. That's gross." Yeah, and then the the Romulan jumps over and slips and falls to his death. Yeah, yeah. and whatever that was, that'll teach you. Step in my goo. Yeah, exactly. All right, shall we move on to the season finale? Yeah, season finale of Andor. Yeah. Season one, episode 12, Rick's Road. Mm -hmm. My pitch was, it's farewell to Marva and hello to a new front on the rebellion on Ferrex in a banger of a season finale. How about you, Jaime? What's your pitch? Ooh, mine is... uh... The plot threads come together into a nice bow and ask us to consider if the people we love and care about are weaknesses or strengths. Ooh, well, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So before before I give you my mine was was a build on my last last time I gave a, a pitch for this for this and or going back to Eric is no really you can't go home. Um, yeah. Yeah. But. But here, here's my question. So was there not a Sam and Diane moment in there where um, Deirdre and um, what's what's the bone oh, name? Deirdre and Cyril, yeah. In the room, Cyril and, and Deirdre, like, like was like, shouldn't they have just like gone for it at that point? Well, we don't know that they didn't. They did cut away and this is Disney+. Plus. <laughs> that's, true, that's true. I I did get a similar feeling and I was hoping that they wouldn't, even though I could understand it from a uh, uh, adrenaline standpoint and they're, you know, uh, presumably hetero male and female with not really seen either one's sexualities would making a lot of assumptions. And it would make sense from a, like her character has been such in control, but she is an office and desk person. Right. And here she was in actual combat and just like, got her butt handed to her and thankfully this dude was like creepily hanging around and and was able to to uh, to get her out of the mess right neither one of those people are are well versed at fighting they're not stormtroopers they're they're desk administrator type people so um it could go that way possibly um who knows maybe they'll see how fans react in this season um i thought it was acted in a way that made it seem like it might go, especially because she was like ready to stab him, right? In in the chaos, she had no idea who this was that, that pulled the gun on her and yeah. only yeah. realized like, oh, it's it's this dude. I can't believe this dude saved me. Yeah. 
I think Sinta had the, from Pew Pew point of view, I think Sinta had the best Pew Pew speaking of, of stabbing somebody, you know. I mean, yeah, we definitely but... got to see who she, who she was in this in this moment, right? Like we definitely yeah. have a clear understanding of of how different Quick. Cinta is than yeah. you know that I think even Bell thinks she is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When she reaches for her hand later and says, "You got blood on your hand," she's yeah, it's not mine. It's not mine. <laughs> you know, it's funny because as she was saying that, I said that out loud, and Xavier kind of looked at me. I was like, "Yeah, no, well, that's how it goes, man." Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't have been there. And that guy yeah. was the worst spy in the history of spies. I was, oh, I was, we are watching it. <laughs> he's walking around and he's walking around. And he's like, clearly just like milling around and spying. And I couldn't help but Tim, you'll appreciate this. Do you remember the line from Monty Python and the Holy Grail when King Arthur marches into, like, rides into town with the coconuts? And the guy says, who's that? And he goes, he must be the king. He goes, how do you know he's the king? He said, because he hasn't got expletive all over him yeah all over him. yeah yeah <laughs> i looked at that Poop guy and i was like that's the line that's the line like that guy must be a spy how do you know he's a spy well he hasn't got crap all over him. so let's move on to uh what do we got next uh well pew pew, we pew. lots of lots of lots of pew 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 pews pew, pew, well pew. Like, it's, there, there was but it kind of all sort of built to a point again the the strength of this show is that they do the pacing so well and the pacing of this one where it really kind of you know all the players are coming together on the board. You know that everybody we've met over the course of the season that's still alive is all headed towards Ferrex for this funeral. And you know that it's just this tinderbox waiting to go off. And you're like, so what's yeah. it going to be? What's going to be the thing? And then it turns out to be Marva's farewell speech, which was amazing. Uh, Fiona Shaw, like an amazing speech. And then, uh, you know, and then that leads to you know the the locals charging the lines and then of course then the guns come out and then the bomb comes out and it just sort of keeps going but the way that they built that tension last episode into this episode and they didn't just jump right into it they really kept building it and building it it was very satisfying yeah that that i my my pew pew was the ied the you know the improvised device that the, the guy is making at the very beginning i'm obviously you know you, you know it's going to get used at some point but and he throws it into just the right spot and takes out like half the half of the well the entire headquarters for the the empire where they they set up shop right yeah um, basically he throws it it happens to like bounce off something and land in a box full of grenades right yeah and there was lots of lots of interesting you know um, blaster fire but the one the one guy up on top of the the machine with the the, the bolt rifle I'm gonna call it bolt rifle because that's pretty much you know it's a big giant barrel yep. thing and the guy yep. just. Oh, that thing was nasty. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was like the 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 Empire's version of a fifty caliber machine gun was just like yeah, knocking people six feet back when it hit them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we lost a few characters too. Like a lot of, I mean, some. I one. I don't know if we the one guy who was talking to the big dude. I don't know if the big dude is his cousin or brother or whatever. Yeah, um, but he died. Yeah, yeah, he died. Yeah, but I don't know if this was the only episode he was in. Right. So yeah, again, continuity. they've done a good job of of obviously they filmed all that stuff. You know concurrently it's not like they filmed like you know maybe yeah so you know a lot of the background players were all very sort of familiar and everything else but uh yeah no it was it was it was pretty epic as far as battles go it's just because it was sort of david versus Goliath, and then this bomb goes off and then it becomes a little more even keel and even that scene you know like we've seen dedra go from an empathetic character at the beginning of the season where we're like the patriarchy's keeping this poor woman down to like, oh, no, wait, actually, she's a monster. To in that moment where she's basically like knocked over and there's like 
10 people trying to clawing after her being like, I want to be the one to kill this person. You do yeah. feel that twinge of like, oof, this is awful. Like, you know, obviously she's a terrible person and I don't, you know, I, I, yeah, but you're 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 rooting for her to pick, get back to her gun, right? Like, yeah, you're like, she... oof, this this could get really dark really fast. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah. these are very very angry people. Are they gonna like you know cave, cave her head in? No, I didn't think she was gonna die just because she's she's established herself as a really interesting character, and no point killing that off at the end of season one. Um, but yeah, like they do a good job of building dramatic tension, even when you could make an argument that it's really like you, you should have been able to say no, that's not gonna happen, but. Well, and they all start putting the boots to her, too, because, like, they, they sort of crowd around her, right? And it's interesting because they did, in The Walking Dead, which I'll talk about later, they did something very similar in, in that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, So the other part of the storyline that we kind of dip into a little bit, is, and we only get a handful of scenes that are not focused on Rick's Road on, on Ferrix, we do get a t- small taste of what's going on with Mon Mothma. She deliberately plants false information with her driver, who she knows is an ISP spy, accusing her husband of being a gambler and losing some of their money. That way she's planting the seed of, uh, hey, where's the money coming from? Yada, yada, yada. She's basically throwing her husband under the bus for that one so that the ISP guy spy will go back to the ISP. And we see him later on reporting into Blevins, uh, who is Dedra's sort of rival uh, with this information. And then at the end of the episode, we see her uh, and her whole family basically waiting to greet this uh, crime lord and her and his son. Right. So we know that she's kind of capitulated and has said, you know, yes, let's introduce your son to my daughter. I need to get this done for the sake of the rebellion. So it's it's not going to be stuck in people's memories as much. But the sacrifices that she's making for the rebellion are just as valid as throwing yourself in front of a blaster bolt like she's she's sacrificing her daughters you know marriage virtue whatever uh in the name of this this cause as well so like this is not nothing right this is a big deal for her yeah that's a that's a good sort of take on it and i i did appreciate how it gives her a lot of cover so when the Empire is like, why is this money moving here? Why is she so dodgy? Oh, because she's embarrassed that her husband is a gambler and uh, they're they're dealing with this mobster because he presumably loses a lot of money at the casino, right? Like you, you cover up the big crime with the little crime sort of thing. So when you when you act a little weird and sketchy, it's like, okay, that's probably what it is, right? Like they just move on and say, whatever, we got bigger things to deal with. We don't have to worry about this. It's a... It's a pretty interesting play, and like you said, she personally sacrifices here for it. So, you know, kudos to that. Well, that's that's how you fund terrorism. That's a well-known thing. You basically you have some way of masking the money or money laundering or whatever, just to find you find a way to deflect the attention away from yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this did have my Easter egg or one of my Easter egg hunts, which was Canto Bites, as I mentioned. Yeah, the casino planet Same. from the yeah. Last Jedi, where. She's saying, like, you're doing it here in course. I'm like, dumb. Just go to Las Vegas. Like, what are you doing it here for illegally? Like, go go to Canto Bite where it's it's all legit. So nice to see that uh, the little shout out there. Yeah, I had the same one. We had lots of uh, good quotes in this show. What, what did you guys have? Yeah, I think you and I had the same one. Uh, so the one that Cass says at the very end. So Cass, uh, the episode ends with Cass uh, basically confronting Luthen. He has spotted him in this, uh, you know, this whole mission, obviously. Cass, you know, the the sort of 
while all the Rick's Road stuff is happening, he is rescuing Bix, right? He's, he's, he breaks into the, the hotel where they were keeping her prisoner. He takes her out, and then he gets her. And um, uh, God, what was the other fellow's name? Wrote it down. Hang the on. bomb kid? Well, the bomb kid, they don't think they ever actually mentioned by name, but Brasso, the, the large fellow that he's, he's close yeah, friends the, with, yeah, his fellow's name is Brasso. Brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so he gets basically, he gets Brasso and uh, Jez, who's the pilot. And B. And, and B. Yeah, and B2 Emo, and uh, yeah, basically loads them all on top of the ship and says, like, you make for this place, I'll meet you, I'll find you. Um, so then he basically goes to have his confrontation with Luthen and says, you know, this can go one of two ways. You're here to kill me, either kill me or take me in. And that's the quote is kill me or take me in. Um, mm -hmm. and that's a, an amazing part to end the season on. Although I think we kind of know <laughs> where it's going. Cause obviously he doesn't die. Um, the other one that I liked is that at one point Cass is finally listening to Nemec's manifesto. And, you know, we kind of wondered would that be a thing that would motivate him? Would that be a propulsive force for him towards the rebellion, towards, you know, the greater good versus, you know, because he's a selfish character from the beginning of this series onwards. He's he's very self-centered. And the, that's kind of the arc for his character over the season is that he learns that he's actually part of a much bigger galaxy than he had ever seen. He He's now thinking about other people as much as he's thinking of himself. And when he's listening to that manifesto, uh, one of the key points that I that I liked, loved hearing was Nemec saying, you know, remember this, try like just the idea that, you you know, you'll never you'll never be able to stand up to them unless you first start standing up. You can't you can't just wait for somebody else to fix the problem. And I thought that was very poignant and, and definitely very relevant to the way that we've seen uh, Cass's story go over the course of the season. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and mine was when the other one for me was when Bix is, um, you know, she's she hasn't quite, she's not all quite there, and she just says at the very end, you know, he'll find us, and she'll see, repeats, Cassian will find us, like because mm -hmm. he's telling everybody, I'll find you, I'll find you, and they're like, Are you sure you'll find? I'll find you. The other the other thing too was was in the end of the speech where she says, I, I think she said, you know, she builds up, and then at the very end of she says, so stand up, and you know. Fight the, fight the bastards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she says, if I had to do things differently, I would get out of bed every morning early so that I could fight them. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I didn't mention, that as far as sort of small little divergent subplots, uh, we do know, we do find out that the the attack on the Spellhouse power plant happened, that Anto Krieger and the Rebel Cell had were going to carry out, and that Luthen basically refused to intervene on. Uh, we knew that it was going to be the Spellhouse Massacre, and it was, so we find out in that very quick moment in the ISP headquarters. And Dedra's mad about it, right? Because she's like, I wanted prisoners, you can't interrogate dead people. And uh, I like Partagas's line where he basically says, uh, this is not about taking prisoners, this is about wiping the taste of Aldani away from the Emperor's mouth. I thought that was a great line, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was actually um, my my quote about it, you know, for that conference call of like, you know, dead bodies don't help us you know, resolve the, the, the who's responsible for this at the end of it kind of thing. And the, you know, the, the quote there that you had there about wiping this taste from the emperor's mouth is uh, something to consider when we see stuff in political arenas. Why did this country mm -hmm. do this? When you see it at the office, uh, why did these execs do that? And I was like, yeah, because sometimes people are people and you got to impress the big wigs to, to get them off of whatever thing that they've been glomming onto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that we we talk about the empire, but 
you know, I always forget that at the top of the empire is an emperor, right? Mm-hmm. And a petty and one we, at that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, mm-hmm. and you don't you don't really hear much. His name isn't mentioned per se, you know, because you're you know the empire seems to be this big you know machine that um, he's sort of the main linchpin for. And can we talk about the fact that we we all called it in terms of what the Cassian was making in the in the jail? Yeah, <laughs> what it yeah. leads up to in the post credit scene. Yeah, this is in the, in the spoilers for you. If you haven't watched, if you missed the credits or the end, didn't wait till the end, but. Yeah, the we all figured it had something to do with the Death Star, you know, gun barrel or whatever. But yeah, it's what the uh, the 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 dish array that we see. Um, I think it's Rogue One where they're they're assembling the Death Star, right? Isn't that where? Um... It, Rogue One is where they're actually putting the the laser, the the Kyber powered laser in place. But I think right, that's sort yeah. of the final piece. Here we see them actually like assembling, building parts of it, and, and starting yeah, to put it together. Dish, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. although it's funny timing wise, like my impression was that we're probably about four years out from the events of uh, Rogue One. It takes them four years to build that. I do know. Yeah, because it looked pretty finished to me. But but mm-hmm. but you know what? It could be like the thing about it is we don't know that 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 assembly of the Death Star and the Rick's Road event Rick's Road event happened in the same time right it could just be they were just wrapping up that loose end right yeah no that's fair Uh, i wonder i wonder if also there's a possibility that um you know next season might see some you know early mission that delays the construction like they actually go and they slow down production of parts or you know i mean like something else that we're not seeing there that actually takes makes them take longer to build that part of the death star right yeah well, well, it's like the it's like you know the the whole um, prisoners of war thing. Like the the one thing about the you know the great the movie The Great Escape and and that particular that particular um, camp that they they sent all these British and American and Canadian soldiers to. Um, these were the the um, the escape arts, the ones that had all you know throughout the war had been escaping from all these different places, and they get sent to this one particular style like. Um, for the end, and that's where you know they all decide to 150 of them to try try to escape all at once in one night, kind of thing. And the reason why they do that is because anything they can do to slow down the war effort, yeah, right? just valuable. just by being a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know the, you're doing your duty, even though you're you're in a, a prison, and you know you're you're like the thing. But is they don't give up the fight, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So and I guess that that like you said that could be that could be the mission next year. Is okay. How do we I mean, they don't obviously know about the Death Star at this point. I would think, would think, but you know, they know the Emperor's or the Empire's building towards something. You know, so they're going to do whatever they can to slow that that effort down, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I wonder. Sorry, I wonder how much the next season's going to. That was my sort of question: is how much of the next season's going to revolve around the Death Star, or how much is it going to evolve around just continuing the rebellion's growth? I did see, I haven't listened to any other podcasts. I haven't read any other articles. I, I wanted to come into this conversation with us a little clean. Um, but I do know that Tony Gilroy was on the Watch podcast this week. So I'll be, I will be listening to that after we sign off tonight. Uh, and I do know that one of the things that he had mentioned, because I saw it on social media when I was working this week, is that next season is taking place a year later. So I, like a year after the events at Rick's Road. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what we find ourselves sort of thrust into when we get to season two, as far as timeline, uh, you know, who's involved, what Cassian's up to, 
you know, what's happened with Mon Mothman or Kid, you know, just all these different parts. Dedra and uh, Cyril's torrid romance. They're living <laughs> with his mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is the the timing of how long it takes to assemble uh, pieces, especially critical pieces like the Death Star laser, didn't bother me so much. So I had to look this up. Like, how long did the James Webb telescope take to build? It was 30 years. I know they didn't, you know, start from A to Z, just constantly working on that. But it didn't strike me as unreasonable. Like, yeah, this delicate piece of machinery, assuming it works the first time, probably difficult to get uh, going the first time. And that's assuming it doesn't go wrong along the ways. Like, um, you know, there could be a, a, a Star Wars series that's just Palpatine constantly upset at how long this thing is taking. Like, what? They they tried it and it broke. <laughs> we had to spend how much to fix? Okay, let me let me let me call up space. Uh, you know, chat with this guy, break his neck from half a galaxy away, and then tell the next guy, don't mess it up. It has to be on time by this December, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, so we've reached the end of season one. Uh, my opinion has not changed. I, unlike a lot of shows. Um, this one delivered in its finale. I feel like when you look at this totality of, of 12 episodes and then sort of go back and watch it, it's going to be a really, really good watch. Um, and, and I do think that this is probably the best thing I saw on TV either. What uh, what do you guys think? What are your impressions of, of the whole season now that we've seen it? Yeah, it's definitely really good TV. In fact, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that you know, I think I've said this before with, with most Star Wars. Um, like most of the movies, I could sit down and watch them. Like, or if they're on TV, I'm flipping by. I'll stop and watch them for you know whatever. Pick it up from wherever the story leaves off and, and go. Um, I don't know if I would want to watch the Mandalorian season series, uh, although the first season was pretty good. Um, and same with Boba Fett. Um, but this one, I think I would I would sit down and watch this whole series again. So that just for the just for the enjoyment of the you know the acting and the, and the really good writing and and the good story points, right? So. Yeah, I I think I still enjoy it. I uh, appreciate the fact that it is um, Better Call Saul-esque in that, well, we did identify early on that, like, well, we we know this dude can't die during the series because he has to be around for Rogue One. And yet, it's not really about the, you know, does he survive? We, We know that. It's more about how did he become the person that we see in Rogue One, right? He starts in Rogue One, he's very much like bought into the mission of the rebellion. He like shoots a guy in, in cold blood because it was the right thing to do for the rebellion. And he's not that guy here, right? He's like, I, I don't care about your rebellion. I don't care about, you know, dealing with the empire. Like, I don't like the empire. And that's where he fought, you know, the, the kid philosophically. Like, you know, I am not okay with the way my life is, but I want to continue to live my life and not die for your, your silly, uh, you know, political beliefs that are not realistic. At the end of this season, he's very clearly signing up for the rebellion, right? That, like, you, you either got to kill me because you think I could leak out your secrets or bring me in because I'm bought into your rebellion idea. Yeah. It's not a loose end anymore if he joins the rebellion, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to circle back to one big question. Sorry, Tim, did you have something else? No, I was just going to say that Mon Mothma's husband is the Jar Jar Binks of this series. <laughs> <laughs> That was worth it. Um, I did want to circle back to one question for you. When Cassian goes to the Imperial base on Ferrix and he's trying to ostensibly go and rescue Bix, 
when he goes in and he sees that she is clearly a mess, did it occur to you for any period of time that he might show her mercy and kill her? Ooh. I did consider that for a moment. No. That, like, it's going to be really hard to drag her out in, in, in a mess case. Yeah, I was thinking he might just leave her, right? Like, just... it, never, it never occurred to me that he would leave her because he would never leave her to those monsters. But what it, it occurred to me as he walked in there and she was still kind of like leaning on the window and drooling. I was thinking, is she too far gone? Is he going to see her and be like, this is not the person I came here to rescue. She's clearly, sh- her mind is shredded. Maybe the best thing I can show her is mercy and and kill her. Which for his character would not be out of place, right? Like he makes hard choices. He makes tough decisions. We've seen that in this series. We've seen that in Rogue One. It wouldn't have been out of character for him to be like, I'm so sorry this happened to you and just put her down. Yeah, but no, I don't think so. Because I mean, but that's what PTSD looks like, right? Like if if you're like when people are like completely off their rocker, they're just kind of, they're catatonic. They just can't move, think. What, they just sit there kind of thing right like i hope i never yeah. get like that but you know that that's kind of what ptsd looks like you, you're just totally can't deal right yeah so yeah. And i'm sure that that's why it became a rescue for him i mean the challenge obviously is is that she can't run and she can't you know she can't be evasive and stuff like that because at one point yeah he has to he has to you know take care of one of the stormtroopers that comes in right mm-hmm. and it's not just a stormtrooper it's a death trooper right like these guys are yeah, supposed yeah. to be the good ones um that being said he doesn't even get a shot off but it's um yeah it's it's pretty it occurred to me in that moment i was thinking like woof that would be like a real dark turn here is he if he realizes like he can't get her out like he's trapped and he's like it's me or her because i can't get us both out or she's just clearly like i'm i'm taking her body out but her mind is already gone if if that would sort of occur i'm glad it didn't i'm honestly like i'm i'm glad that it played out the way that it did i'm glad that he he was able to go in and help her and get her off planet and everything else but it did hit me in that moment of like oh i hope this does not go to the dark place but i don't think it was like a wild read i don't think it was like oh Cass would never do that i i honestly felt like that would have been in character yeah yeah he would have relieved her of her misery yeah true i mean the other, the other sort of personal personal dynamic thing was when uh, Val and and Cinta meet in the room, and you know Cinta or Val just showed up, and Cinta is still focused on the rebellion. She's still focused on you yeah. know she didn't meet her at the bus stop or whatever she was supposed to do, and and you know I had to get here by myself and whatever. Um, <laughs> but she's looking out the window, checking out the spy. I guess the guy that was the, the bad spy, right? Um, yeah. And and Val's like, hey, I'm here, and and Cinta's like, yeah, but I got I'm I'm working, you know. Um, and you're part of the civilian too. You should understand that, right? But that was kind of an interesting sort of play between the two of them. They they never sort of do you know kiss and make up as it were, but you know they they. But we of... even saw that. We saw that when they were back on Aldani, right? We saw that Cinta seems to be a little more committed to the cause. We saw that when they were uh, scaling the wall and they were you know trying to make the call like, do we go? Do we go? And Vel was really hesitant and wasn't quite sure that it was the right decision. And Cinta's like come on, let's go. Like, she's clearly a little more... Or, or when she leaves her behind, she says, I'll be fine, just go, you know? Like, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, be, like, I'll she seems like planet. she's yeah. perhaps a bit more of a pragmatist than, than Val is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's quiet but deadly kind of thing, as we saw that today, like, as I mentioned earlier, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. I was surprised yeah. that B, B2 Emo, or whatever his name is... Um, yep, B2 Emo. Didn't, uh, 
didn't give away, you know, that Cassian. Hey, Cassian, you're here! Like, full blast. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that come scene over where... here, stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah, the, the scene where uh, where the troopers come over and they first they try and cover, use the jacket to cover up the hologram of uh, of Marva, and then they toss BTA. I was just like, whoa, it's, yeah, it's yeah. on now. <laughs> Don't mess with that cute little droid. That's not okay. And how come he can't pick himself up? I don't understand. R2, you too good. Well, BT's got t- tank treads, right? So I don't yeah. know how. He's a robot. Wouldn't he have thought about that? I don't know. I mean, so far, BT, he's he's a sweet, sweet little droid, but he does not seem self-sufficient. True. He's like a puppy dog. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's just, he, he, he your, seems like a little kid coffee, or something. He brings you your paper. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> They're for company. Cool. All right. Shall we move on to the watch list? Hells yeah. The watch list. Jonathan, you're up first. Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, I did flag this to uh, to uh, the, the SpotCast team this week, this crazy auction that's happening right now on Heritage Auctions that's um, been reported in a few different places. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Did you guys have a chance to look through here at some of the <laughs> crazy stuff that's up for auction? I did. It's kind of deep, but is is this is this not the same auction that we looked at last week for the card stuff or a different one? No, 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 no. This is, uh, I guess this is some private collector's uh, estate. They are getting rid of stuff. And he had been collecting memorabilia for decades and decades and decades. So, I mean, he's got like, you know, cost, he's got like, uh Dorothy's costume from Wizard of Oz. He's got Orson Welles's outfit from Citizen Kane. Like it's crazy the stuff that he's got in this collection. Right. Uh but on top of that he has like some incredible genre pieces in here too. Some of the some of the costumes he's got, you know, Cesar Romero's Joker costume from the Batman TV show. He's got Bruce Lee's, uh, you know, costume from The Big Boss. He's got William Shatner's uh, tunic from Star Trek: The Original Series. Uh, you know, he's got uh, the a full promotional costume made for The Empire Strikes Back. He's got the original master pattern Y-wing that they used to make the other models from. He's got a full Jawa costume. He has Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi lightsaber handle from episode one. He's got Ray's staff from Force Awakens. Like, it's bonkers. He's got, like, multiple props from Indiana Jones, including, I know, the one Jaime had his eye on, the Holy Grail, uh, the actual prop replica from from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Is the uh, love bug? Wow. He has an actual Herbie from the Herbie movies. He's got Conan's sword from Conan the Barbarian. Like, this is just an unreal collection. He's got Prince's jacket from Purple Rain. Like, got the hoverboard from um, Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. He's got Matthew Broderick's uh, vest from Ferris Bueller. He's got the original scale filming model of the Batwing. He's got Freddy Krueger's glove. He's got Harry and the Henderson's head. Like, this is... And the one, like, if I was going to pick one thing out of here, this is the hands-down winner for me. He's got the real original Rocketeer helmet from the Rocketeer. Yeah, that, yeah. that is awesome. Uh, this is just unbelievable. And the other one I've really liked in here is he has a full-sized Mondashiwin from Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's 
bonkers. And Sylvester Stallone's for the for the low opening bid of ten thousand bucks, Sylvester Stallone's Lawmaster motorcycle from Judge Dredd. Like this is an incredible collection of memorabilia. Yeah. Captain America's shield, uh, Black Widow's electro staffs. Wolverine's claws from the Wolverine movie, like Christian Bale's cowl from Batman Begins. It's incredible. Incredible. This collection must be worth tens of millions of dollars. Oh, here's one for you, the, the George Clooney Batman cowl. Yeah, yeah. That's for you. The, and I love that they have uh, the costume and sword for Sean Connery's Spanish character from Highlander, uh, if you're feeling like you want to go down that road. Um, yeah, William Wallace's sword from Braveheart. Like, it's just, it's, it's crazy, 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 crazy. He has a set of the, the uh, stop-motion characters from Wallace and Gromit, a set of them from James and the Giant Peach. Like, this is just the coolest collection of stuff I've ever seen. The auction prices, when they say the opening bid is, there's still three weeks to go in this auction. You can find uh, the, the link in our show notes. Um, the opening bids for some of these things are crazy. Like, you know, some of them are 80,000 US dollars. Some of them start relatively low, you know, 10, 5, 10,000, depending on what it is, pictures, autograph pictures and stuff like that. But uh, I'd be really curious to see how much some of this stuff ends up selling for, because this is really, really neat stuff. Yeah. Somewhat most reasonably, you know, like, I'm not going to throw down like $10,000 for some of these things as cool as they are. Like, that's a lot of money. Reasonably, if it sticks here, is the, on the weirder side, this, um, this oil is it an oil painting? What is this? I'm going to assume uh, oh, acrylic on canvas painting of Angela Lansbury from Murder She Wrote is only a thousand dollars at the moment. <laughs> That's kind of more. It's kind of more my uh, my my neighborhood of what I could hypothetically buy. It's a bargain. Let's buy two. Yeah, they they have it divided into a couple of sections. So you can see the you know the featured items, sort of like the the high level you know coolest of the cool stuff, and then you can view the sort of total auction of all the items. Um, yeah, all in there's 400 pieces ranging from, yeah, like 500 bucks. You can get like, you know, original movie stills from, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and Joan Crawford and, you know, some of these kind of cool pieces from the time. Uh, but then, you know, yeah, the scale <laughs> skyrockets from there. Um, there is one here for 500 bucks, guys, 500 bucks. Uh, in-person signed William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy movie poster for Star Trek Four. Pretty cool, mm -hmm. five hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, you could you could you could make a case for that one. Yeah, that's easy. You would have paid um, you would have paid that much to see them and get them to sign it anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's got an Apollo uh, Apollo a Grumman a model of the of the LEM the landing module from. I don't know if this is I'm in the same auction or not, but this auction six two six seven. Uh, let's see. Should should say right on underneath one of the items, but he actually has like a one of the wooden models made for the for NASA, ten grand. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's in a really neat 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 collection. Even just like he's got a bunch of props from the original Wizard of Oz, which even just to see the pictures of them is just a huge kick. Um, you know, he has uh a bunch of masks from the original 1960s Planet of the Apes movie. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, uh. There's just yeah, there's so much stuff in here, and it's it's unreal to see it all laid out like this. The costumes, you know, he's got a bunch of Marilyn um, Monroe's costumes from her different movies, and yeah, just he's, uh, got, he's got Harry S. Truman's personal Stetson hat, yeah, and Dwight D. Eisenhower's Stetson hat, yeah, yeah, 
Wow. You know, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke's costumes from Sound of Music. He has and the, he has the Mary guitar Poppins. from the Sound of Music. Yeah, and and uh, Julie Andrews' dress, the one she's, she's wearing, like crazy. You could buy the dress on the guitar and, and reenact the scene. I mean, you could do that. I'm telling you, if I'm if playing dress up, I'm going as uh, Sean Connery's Ramirez <laughs> with the feathered hat. I mean, yeah, that's got to be one of my favorite movie weirdness things of all time is to have Scotsman Sean Connery play a Spaniard while having uh, a Frenchman in Chris Lambert play uh, Scotsman mm. in the same movie. Yeah. Like, hey, I have an idea. What if we cast this a little differently? Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm in the wrong outfit. Bunch of James Bond stuff in here. Uh, Jane Seymour's whole costume from Live and Let Die. Hmm. Uh, Sir Roger Moore's James Bond monogram pajamas from Live and Let Die. Come on. <laughs> come on. All right, let's anyway, move on. This, this caught my eyes. Do yourselves a favor, fans. Go and check this auction out because it is awesome. It is yeah. truly awesome. Cool. Uh, next up is, uh, yeah, just uh, tomorrow, uh, so the day after U.S. Thanksgiving, we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we've obviously seen the trailer for this one already. It looks like a hoot. I will definitely be watching this tomorrow, and uh, I'm sure you gentlemen will be as well. Yeah. Cool. I mean, what do you got? One that I'm not sure if you all can actually see, because I have no clue where it is, uh, that is Tulsa King that's on Paramount+. Plus. This is a series with uh, starring Sylvester Stallone plays a uh, a mob boss, a capo, who went to prison for 25 years, kept his mouth shut, comes out of prison, you know, revisits his, his old gang in, in New York City, and they promptly tell him, yeah, there's no place for you here, get out. Uh, but we'll let you have uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to, uh, you know, go go out there, do the illegal stuff, send us kickback money. And it's uh, it's kind of charming in a, in a folksy way. It's got a fish out of water thing, you know, both because this guy culturally is, you know, uh, mob bosses in New York City are not the same as what they might be. It's, uh, you know, organized crime runners in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he's also been out for 25 years. So uh, when he's asking some people some stuff, they're like, hey, well, why don't you just call an Uber? He's like, what's an Uber? He's like, you get an app for your phone. He's like, you put things on your phone? What are you talking about? Like, he's just like rapidly trying to come up to speed with how things work. So it's uh, hmm. kind of kind of kind of fun, kind of folksy. Uh, I don't know that it's as good as like Mayor of Kingstown. I don't know if it's uh, as good as some other things out there, but it's a it's a nice watch for those of us like me who you know are already subscribed to Paramount Plus. Cool. Yeah, I, I think it's a Paramount Plus show up here too. Paramount Plus is really kind of beachheading here a little more and more each time. They're not other than Star Trek. They really don't seem like they're parsing things off like they were before. I think they want. Canadians and Americans and everyone else to just sign up. Yeah, well, Disney's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. My, what else you got, Jaime? My, my second choice here is uh, all eight episodes are now available for season two of Chucky. It's the sci-fi series. I assume it comes out on, like, you know, Crave or something in Canada. Um, it, I don't know. It, it, it is something that is definitely you'll be keen to watch if you are a longtime fan of the Child's Play movie series and have followed along for the past 30 some years um similar to the way that cobra kai does a lot of fan servicey stuff for uh, fans of the karate kid that's kind of what this series is about too it is bananas and nuts this season like a i can't believe they brought this back or oh this minor plot point i can't believe they you know followed up on that here so if you're into that sort of thing 
if you're really into the the Chucky doll character, I think you'll enjoy. If you're not already into it, you probably shouldn't bother because it is um, very intense for the fans. Um, so, hmm. yeah, this is the other show that Justin's been working on recently. Um, I never did see Child's Play. I just watched it um, in the in the run up of Halloween movies just recently. So yeah, it doesn't doesn't hold up as well. I think that just the <laughs> practical effects aren't quite up to snuff, and yeah, there's a few odd sort of things about it, but yeah. All right, so me, I got a couple of things. One is The Walking Dead is finally done. Yay! <laughs> did Did you watch? Uh, did I you watched catch up the watch last it? season of The Walking Dead, as I said I would. I did mm-hmm. do that, and um, you know, it kind of ends, but it it ends it sort of has a sort of somewhat somewhat saccharine ending. But you know what? It 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 shouldn't. I mean, it it almost like it was just the end of the sh- this season was like the end of a season. It wasn't hmm. so much. Um, I mean, there were some characters that got resolved, and I mean, obviously the the big question about Maggie and Negan. Negan was the reason why I stopped watching The Walking Dead because it just went too far, in my opinion. Um, but you know, she and Negan have been working together for the last for this season in particular. And of course, you know, the there's the, the vitriol between them because Negan, spoilers if you haven't seen the show, killed her husband uh, in in not a very pleasant way, right? Um, and the big speech that, that Maggie has at the end when she's explaining to Negan why she can never forgive him is because she, she can never erase the memory of what he did. Like, And she watched it happen, right? Yeah. Sort of thing. And, and, and again, that was kind of a, like, you know, in real life, you could never forgive him. You could never work side by side with him. Like it was, it would be just impossible, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, all the other characters, they kind of run, run around and do their things. Um, there is a, there are a couple of characters from, from the old show show up in sort of like an, a post credit scene, which just, I think, cause I think they're setting up, they're setting up a show. There's a new show coming out with Negan and, and Maggie working together. I think there's going to be a show with Daryl or with Daryl on his bike. And there's going to be, I think there's going to be a, a Michonne and um, Rick uh, show coming up, right? I've, I've seen rumors of that, right? But um, I think, you know, we had George Trommel up on the show once, and I think I think I asked him about The the Walking Dead on one of the podcasts I had him on before, and he said he's a, he doesn't watch the show because he knows how it's going to end. It's just not going to end. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, and it, it's just going to spin out into even though it's all done, it's going to spin out into a whole bunch of other other shows, right? So they had a before before the show making of, and then they had a huge you know ninety minute Talking Dead afterwards. I've got that PVR. I haven't watched uh, the 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 PVR bit at the end, but um, yeah, it kind of you know it it didn't you know if it didn't end quite like it wasn't like the ending of Mash kind of thing, you know, like it wasn't which had a fairly decent ending, even though it was sad to see it go. Um, it's, I'm not sad to see The Walking Dead go. I mean, it, it just kind of became um, routine. It was very, very formulaic, you know. Um, and it just, it just, you know, anytime they resolved, you know, the bad guy at the end of a season, there would be an equally bad guy show up later on. I mean, and, and I think you said, Jonathan, it parallels what happened in the, in the comic, right? Um, I don't know if the comic is still going, do you know? It isn't. It ended several years ago, and it um it at least there was a run up to this. So yeah. the Walking Dead, the way that the comic series ended, uh, Robert Kirkman decided that he knew where he wanted to end it, but he wanted it to be a surprise. He didn't want people to sort of anticipate the ending. You know, oh, there's five issues left. This is what's going to have to happen. Whatever. So 
they actually went as far as soliciting books that never were going to be published so that people wouldn't know it was going to happen and didn't announce until like a couple of weeks before the final issue dropped that that's what was going to be the final issue. Um, I'm, I'm a little curious. I, I have, must admit, I, I, like you, I kind of turned on The Walking Dead a while back because it was just simply too grim and violent for my tastes. But I did have some curiosity as I knew it was ending this week to figure out how they did the ending that they did for the TV show and how they worked that out because I knew that the ending they used in the comic would be impossible because it involves characters that they have killed off on the show. So, yeah, it, I really I enjoyed the ending of the comic series. I thought it was very much fitting with the way that the series went and and I liked the way that they brought it to a conclusion. I'm not uh I don't think I'm going to jump online this weekend and and watch the rest of Walking Dead just to catch up, but I might read a little synopsis to sort of see how they how they pulled it all off to sort of see if it's um somewhat comparable. Yeah. But it it does end up in, in a much more of a like I don't they, they could certainly do other things and and continue with the Walking Dead larger universe but in the comic form they haven't really they, they did a Negan uh, small series and stuff like that afterwards but they, they really haven't done as much spinning off as they have on the television side yeah well I mean it's it's obviously you know the dollars right they've, they've I think they've got three currently running shows um that yeah is the, the fear of the walking dead is still going there's um tales of the walking dead or something like that there's like a there's a sort of a you know what was the star trek thing where we had the little mini series things the 30 minute shows right they have a couple of those um yeah yeah yep. now going and, and i'm sure they're going to milk this it's going to be it's going to be going on for many many years i don't think the end of this season end of this series is going to end the walking dead you know just generally as a, as a thing i think as long as there's money to be made from it i think they'll they'll probably do it and there's obviously a will yeah we'll have to want to make it but yeah i mean why if there's an audience there and clearly there is if there's you know all these people who are you know still going to conventions and buying all kinds of goods and you know it's doing well for them so i'm I'm sure they're not going to say no to the dough but it's um yeah i don't know it's it's a weird thing yeah and speaking of shows that should end Um, and, and thankfully, I'm glad to report that it, this show has, in fact, ended. I just finished watching The Crown season five um, with um, Amelia. What's her name? Imelda. Imelda. Whatever. Imelda Staunton. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. pink lady from everybody hated from uh, Harry Potter shows. Um, yeah. I. You know. I. I. Obviously, this is this is a, a history of um, the royal family that I do remember quite clearly because it was, you know, basically the, the lead up to the 90s, right? Um, you know, it goes through the whole um, Diana and Charles divorce and, you know, the Camilla Mark Parker Bowles backstory. Um, but I just could not buy her as the Queen of England. Like, she just mm. didn't do it for me. Whereas, you know, Olivia Coleman and I forgot the name of the actress before, they were passable. They yeah, they Claire looked Foy, I think was yeah. Claire Foy. Yeah, they looked the role. They talked the way that they do. They they uh, and I mean maybe the history was was um, clear enough. But the problem with this show was was none. The only the character, or only the actress who played Diana looked like Diana, right? The guy who mm-hmm. plays Charles Dominic, uh, I've forgotten his name, Dominic Monaghan or something like that. But he from The Wire, it, yeah, McGuire. He he sounds no, like from Charles The Wire. Yeah, he sounds like sounds like um yeah, the guy from the wire, exactly. He sounds like um Charles, but he doesn't look like Charles. And then you've got um Jonathan Way better Price. looking than Charles. Sorry? 
to way better looking than Charles, well, and so is Jonathan Price over for Prince Philip. Well, but 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 like from a from a stature point of view, like just like the bo- at least Amelia or Milda or whatever her name is, her body shape is the same as the Queen's, but the other two just were completely yeah. not viable as as those two guys. I mean, they they were from a point of view of an attitude, but the problem is the writing was so bad. Like the actual mm. behind the scenes, I couldn't believe that, you know, I could, you know, that, that they would have these conversations that they pretended that they did. Now, whether or not, I mean, it is historical fiction, right? Or ficlet, right? What do they call it? Um, it's historical fiction is the name of it, where you, you basically take real events and you write a back. It just was so unbelievable. I cannot recommend anybody watching this series, even, hmm. you know, at all. It was just, it was painful. It was like, it was, I mean, I, I've been enjoying For All Mankind, even though that was, com- like, at least with For All Mankind, they went right out left field, you know? <laughs> you know, they, everything was completely implausible, right? Whereas this was just so, tried to be true to the history, but, but yeah, just, I, I just couldn't believe. It's, it's almost like a, like a, a tabloid version of what they think happened behind the scenes, right? Um, just, it just wasn't viable. You know, I mean, like, if, if Queen Elizabeth was ever, like this character on in this show, we would have heard about it. Like the, you know, there would have been leaked information from their 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 handmen and footmen and whatever. Because I mean, there was leaked information about Diana. There was a book written where she per- says she didn't participate in, but we know she did. She was also in an interview at one point, famously on the BBC. Um, so there were there were we do have her accounting of what happened behind the scenes. But yeah, I don't know that. I don't know that that. Uh, it's it's not believable. Just don't watch it. It's painful. But speaking of what I did enjoy, I don't know if you guys have watched the making of She-Hulk on. Um, it's an hour-long, roughly, um, show on Disney Plus, which goes through the whole how did they do it um, of making of um, She-Hulk. They they show Tatiana Maslany and and the other actress with the you know wearing the the suits with the dots on them and. Uh, she walked around with uh, with a, a like a like an extension above her, and they would have like a the head of her, just so people would be looking up at at this sort of not a tennis ball, but at least a picture of uh, of her face, and and how they you know managed to get the motion capture going, uh, how they did a lot of the different effects. Um, it's really interesting to watch, like you know the parts where the abomination picks her up and as as regular Jen, and is you know at the very last um, episodes like whipping her around the room they show how they do that kind of stuff with wires and all that kind of stuff right so really good and they go through all the different actors they talk to um charlie cox about playing daredevil and coming back at like it's it's been many years since he was daredevil right um coming back and and you know the new suit and um what's the name of the the indian lady that you mentioned earlier that um jelani oh jamila jamil yeah jamila jamil yeah that was cool um, she, you know, talking to her about how her, her thing and, and all the different actors who played, play, actresses who played the different roles and the directors and the, you know, photographers and stuff like that. And, and so it's really enjoyable sort of seeing the behind the scenes, how they sort of did all that, did all that stuff and put the show together, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's, uh, so yeah, I, I highly recommend watching the making of She-Hulk. I don't normally watch these. I mean, I like to watch them just from the point of view of watching them, but. You know, and I haven't gone through all the the Star Wars stuff that's on Disney Plus, and some of it I've seen before. But I, you know, there's some new stuff, and there's the making of Mandalorian and making of Boba Fett, I believe. 
I uh, haven't gone through those ones yet, but uh, but this one I really did enjoy. So, yeah, recommend it. And I guess that's it for another week. So until next time, Jonathan, how will people get in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter for now. And Instagram is at JPK News or on YouTube is uh, YouTube.com slash at JPK. Okay. And uh, Jaime, people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter is at Dev with the Hair. All right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. And you'll find me there on the Twitter machine and the Mastodon. You'll find me on YouTube that way. So YouTube.com slash Timitra. And that's, a, yeah, all the, all the things really pretty much. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. You watch any? You watch Canada's uh, football game there, Jaime? In this, I in did not. I, I I missed. It was uh, American football today, so I watched the the early games, <laughs> yeah, the Cowboy game, and then uh, missed you know about half of the the evening game to do this, which is just not a problem. Oh yeah. But uh, what, what, what? How did your Cowboys do? They won. They they beat their rival, the New York Giants, on Thanksgiving, which is always a, a nice treat. Remind me to ask him about my watch too, because I got I got the Ultra Watch, eh? Oh, you did? Yes, it's super nice. I really, really am happy with it with the purchase. Because the one thing, one thing I, I was, you know, I think about this because I, you know, I, because I'm on a program right now, I basically do I do a workout three times a day kind of thing, right? So um, I'm always like, you know, start a walk and I have to remember to turn, you know, turn the exercise thing on, right? Well, with the action button, you just push the action button and it goes right to workout, right? Mm-hmm, like it's, mm-hmm. it's it's the default behavior. Like it's funny because you can't like we were talking about the ultra on more than just code thinking about the action button. I mean, just to think that you could program it or you could choose it. It really can only do one action at a time, which is kind of weird, right? But super handy from that perspective. The other thing I like about it, obviously, is it's not got the curved glass on the top, right? So I'm always worried about hitting, you know, catching a, a brick or something or the side of a desk or something as I'm walking around and flailing my arms around, right? So this this has got the the metal edging right up to the glass. And then, of course, it's the sapphire crystal, right? I think, right? If I'm not mistaken, it's heavy-duty um, yeah. covering. Yeah. It was a bit heavier when I first put it on. My, my wrist was really sort of fatigued the first couple of days, you know? Yeah, it does look a little bit chunkier, given that you might, you know, go rock climbing or something. You don't want it to, yeah. to break at the slightest impact. So it, it kind of makes sense yeah. that it would feel heavier. But 
I'm going to guess somewhat heavier, not like a, the, the neutron star that we always joke about for the old Mac Pros, right? Yeah. And I got, I got the flat trail, um, trail band because I, like, I didn't like the idea of the other bands that you have to sort of clip something in. And I just like to be able to take it on and off real fast, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely, definitely, definitely was worthwhile. I had to wait for them to be on the, you know, the friends and family store kind of thing before I could go ahead and do that, right? Right, right. And and you mentioned yes. the the Canadian football game. Are you talking about Canada versus Belgium? That was yesterday. Yes, yeah, I did not yeah, see Canada that. Lost. I did not see that. I'm surprised you brought it up. It was a loss. Why? Uh, why do you want to relive? Hey, the... We're there, man. We haven't been there since the '80s. <laughs> okay, there you go. You're just 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 happy to be the, there. Got it. The, yeah, we get the trophy for showing up, right? <laughs> no, I, I I get that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I did watch USA versus Wales um, earlier in the weekend. I'm definitely going to watch England versus USA tomorrow. How did how did USA do against Wales? A draw, one one, gave up a, wow. a, a silly goal late in the game that uh, that made it a draw. So um, I watched the uh, first game um, just because you know the first game that was broadcast. Qatar Ecuador. I forget who. Yeah, I think so. And and yeah, and uh, Ecuador just kicked their butts. Or head, headed their butts. <laughs> the one, I think the one guy scored two or three goals, right? So, yeah, yeah, it was two nothing uh, Ecuador over Qatar. Um, the biggest drubbing so far looks like it was Spain versus Costa Rica yesterday, seven nothing. Uh, not mm. too far away is is England over Iran, six to two. Um, the the one that was it, there's a minor shocker in that Japan beat Germany uh, yesterday. Yeah, um, yeah. But did you see that the Japanese fans cleaned up the stadium after? Uh, yeah, after they the they constantly do that. They're like super good at that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The locker room. They also the, cleaned the. Uh, yeah, they cleaned the locker room too. Yeah. No. Um, the big shocker for World Cup is uh, Saudi Arabia two one over Argentina. That's the that's the team that has the the best player in the world, Lionel Messi. So uh, on the losing side, on the Argentinian side, just in case it wasn't clear that he does not play for Saudi Arabia, that that's. Uh, the bigger shocker. You uh, you haven't all signed on to Hive yet. That's that's this week's flavor of the week, right? Hive. Yeah. No. What's that? Oh, Hive got uh, got a little little bump this week. There was definitely people were moving over there looking for um for their next possible social solution. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Let's see. There was a good piece on this where it was Hive dot com or Hive Hive Social. What's it called? Uh, yeah, it's Hive Social. The only problem with Hive is while it is probably better equipped than Mastodon to to replace something like Twitter, it is super small. It needs like probably a few hundred million dollar cash infusion to to make it viable just because it's a real small potato. Yeah, there's another one that I signed up for last week, but it was really painful to get signed on to. Yeah. yeah, I'm enjoying Mastodon. A lot of people have that, you know, some of the people I follow have moved over and, and uh the feed is starting to have some some actual interesting content. You know, um, I, I saw the um, the Will Wheaton response to uh, Elon yeah. Musk uh, from Twitter uh, or sorry from Facebook actually put on and and yeah, I mean after reading um, that exchange, I'm like you know I'm this close to leaving Twitter. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard to hard to stay impartial when the person in charge of the organization is being that belligerent uh his response to the departure of several notable uh users including trent reznor this week were pretty galling 
Yeah, yeah, just just jaw dropping. And and the thing about and you know and and he's turned his he's turned it into a sweatshop. And and you know, unfortunately, the kids that are working there think it's great. You know, because um, they get to rub shoulders with this you know really you know famous guy. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's that worth. And you know, um, yeah, my my yeah my problem is like I have a a filter on my Twitter account that begins with T and ends with P, right? So I never see anything from that individual tweet it right mm. and i can't block elon musk right <laughs> yeah i mean That's i probably could i deal. probably could you know but but i mean like like even even employees that have left he they've dis- suspended their accounts i mean like like people mm-hmm. who are legitimate pundits of the platform are, are being like just you know summarily executed by him pretty much you know mm-hmm. the generalissimo right and then you know yeah the, and then you hear things like you know Toronto is going to allow autonomous a lot autonomous driving of Tesla's downtown Toronto. It's bad enough everybody's on their cell phone down there. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about a pedestrian, right? Hell yeah, for you sure. Know? Like, like somebody's going to go. Somebody's going to die. I'm, I guarantee it. Speaking of deaths, you and I had a, a sad day today. Did we? Borea Salming. Oh, Borea Salming. Yes. Toronto Maple Leafs legend Borea Salming died today at the yeah. age of 71 after a short battle with uh, ALS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the first hockey player I was ever a fan of really? when I was a little kid. Yeah, wow. He came to play in Toronto in the 73-74 season. And so, you know, as I was a little, little, little kid and, you know, my family were Leaf fans and, uh, you know, so the game was always on. And he had such an unusual name, mm-hmm. and coincidentally or not, he was really, really good. So yeah, I remember we would go out and play. Uh, you know, we'd all sort of say, "Well, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, Mike Palmatier. Oh, I'm going to be Lanny McDonald. I'm going to be Daryl Sittler." And I always wanted to be Borea Salming and pretend to be Borea Salming playing defense. Uh, mm. I was lucky enough uh, later in my life during my my previous career to. Uh, I got to spend an afternoon with Borea in Stockholm. Nice. Uh, I went over in the early 2000s. The Maple Leafs held their training camp over in Europe, and I went over there, and uh, it was put put on offer, like, hey, how would you like to do an interview with Borea Salming? And I was like, yes, please. Yeah. So it it wasn't just sort of your standard, uh, you know, go and, and, you know, sit down in a boardroom and do an interview kind of deal. So I actually met him at a, an outdoor cafe along with uh, another journalist. We sat there and had lunch together and, and talked about, you know, everything for a while, for like a good hour. And I was saying to someone today, it was, it was like being with Wayne Gretzky in, you know, like just after his, you know, years after his retirement, it was, you know, 10 years after Gretzky's retirement, so 2010, Wayne Gretzky in downtown Toronto, like everybody would stop and talk to you. Everybody would want to yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. it was like hanging out with Borja Salming in downtown Stockholm. Everybody was just a Borja, 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 Borja. And he was like, you know, a household name. He's the, most, he's the first Swedish NHLer. He's a famous, famous, famous guy. He's the first, uh, then, first international um, player to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He was first Swede to put in the Hockey Hall of Fame, first international uh, player. Well, I mean, not beyond obviously North America. Um, well, aren't the but, aren't the United aren't the Americans foreigners? I mean, technically yes, but yes, a few of them had snuck through. The um, 
Yeah, the, the day was just an absolute thrill for me to to get to meet this this boyhood idol of mine and and to spend time with him and and, and listen to his stories and and you know see his get to know his sense of humor and then uh, his post hockey career he had uh, a company that made hockey equipment and clothing and stuff like that and I said you know I'd love to get some pictures of you to go along with the piece that I'm writing for for the publication you know maybe we can do a couple of things he's like oh I have a great idea so. We walked uh, down the street, which is, again, hilarious because like people were just like stopping and pointing and, you know, high fiving and everything else as he walked by. We walked to what is basically the equivalent to the Eaton Center in downtown Stockholm, went into this department store and he walked into the one sort of, you know, information area and said, hi, I'm looking for my underwear. And... The, they were like, oh, sure, come this way. And he, so he had a whole line of like, uh, you know, men's, you know, underwear, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. So I got these pictures of him like holding, he's like, carry, like holding a mannequin, basically, that's like wearing his stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, you know, again, just sort of showed that he was, you know, he's a fun, funny guy, really, you know, quick witted and, and, and very, very likable. And uh, yeah, for, for me, as far as, you know, boyhood boyhood thrills that came true as an adult that was way high on the list was getting to spend a a good afternoon with you know and, and sharing a beer and and just you know getting getting to hear some of the the glory day stories with with Borja Salming and uh I will never forget that I'm very grateful to him to be so gracious and spend the time with me and yeah it's it uh I was really upset when I had heard that he had been diagnosed with ALS uh not that long ago a couple months ago and then he came to Toronto for the Hall of Fame inductions this year, which were just a few weeks back. He had lost the ability to speak, but he was still, you know, mobile and he was still, you know, waving and, and you know, uh, there was, you know, some really beautiful ceremonies around his, his appearance here. And then, yeah, two weeks later, he's, he's gone. I just, I'm, I'm so sad and I'm so shocked. And, you know, I mean, what a legacy to leave behind. You know, he paved a trail for so many international players to to see that they could have a career in the, in the highest level of hockey mm. and uh the crap that he went through that the parts of his stories like he was targeted in a way that like so few players understand you know because oh, he was a foreigner you mean or yeah like they were merciless they were like this sob from europe is coming in here to take our job yeah and yeah, yeah. and he just got mercilessly attacked for a good chunk of his career but he was i mean i saw him when he was probably 50 mm-hmm. and he still looked like a greek god like mm-hmm. you could see the muscles through his shirt like he was jacked at 50 uh by all accounts when he was in playing shape he was the toughest sob in the league like just you know tougher than a bag full of nails right and it's good because he apparently he just took a lot of crap for being Swedish, but he took those things and he, you know, it's, it's not exactly the same as like a Jackie Robinson story, but you know, in the way that he paved the way for others to follow by, you know, setting the example and, and taking a lot of crap, you know, there is some parallels there and uh, yeah, it's really, really impressive, uh, impressive person and, and, uh, and, and, and what a legacy to leave behind. Interesting. So farewell, Borja. Thank you for bye bye. Yeah, for the great years and memories. I mean, again, I was lucky enough. You know, they that Maple Leafs team that he was a big part of in the late seventies made it to the Stanley Cup semifinals, and uh, and you know gave us a little little hope that maybe there was something there. And then, of course, 
they tanked for about a decade but uh yeah he was you know he was a uh, uh, yeah huge huge part of this fabric of this city and the hockey culture for sure crazy someday Jaime will be telling his kids about the legends that were on the first couple of years of the Seattle Kraken yeah. <laughs> I still remember Rusty Staub yeah yeah mm-hmm. I was playing for the Expos yeah I saw Rusty yeah. Staub he was like the first sort of famous guy on the Expos, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were other players, but that's the only one I knew. Oh, yeah. I mean, later on, for sure, there was, you know, I mean, Pete Rose played there. There's, you know, legends of the game, but Vladdy Guerrero and Larry Walker. There's Hall of Famers galore on that team. Yeah, Andre Dawson, you know, Gary Carter. And now they're the Washington Nationals. There you go. Yep. There so you go. We're down to one show. One show. Seems impossible. One show? Yeah, we just we only have one show to talk about next week. It's oh, really? just Star Trek. Yeah. What? For the first time in ages. Unless we're gonna do a full review of Guardians of the Galaxy. Crazy. Yeah, and then we have oh, we could. what, like five more episodes? Is it a full twenty, I think, for yeah, Prodigy? 20, yeah. Um yeah. I'm not seeing I don't know if they're doing like a nineteen twenty or the are like combined like they did for previous some of the previous two-parters or how they're mm-hmm. doing it but my calendar here says willow starts on the 30th so maybe that ends Ooh. up uh bulking it up again P- pretty pleased with sugar on top can we do that one because i love willow give it a shot and see a how it goes and you know, at least do the first episode and, and see oh it's a series yeah it's, it's a limited series yeah oh not a movie okay yep cool well i'm taking the day off tomorrow because it's american thanksgiving how nice for you. I know, eh? <laughs> well, since my company has Canadian in the title, I guess I can't take the day off. So they don't care. It's Friday. Go to work. Put out some podcasts. Hmm. Work on some social media. Figure out, figure out how to save our Twitter bacon. Yeah. As my audience continues to dwindle. Lost a few more hundred followers this week. Damn it. Did you? Why? Because people are leaving the platform. Really? They're just not yeah. noticeable. I lost over 200 last week. I've lost over 250 this week already. Mm-hmm. Not what you want when you're trying to grow your audience. Nope. Especially the amount of work we put into it. But. You know, I'm looking at this, uh, this um, uh, what's it called? Hive? And, Hive yeah. and already I'm seeing reasons why I don't want to ever come back here. Yeah, like I say, it's, it's not it, safe it, for it work. Was, it was the flavor of the week this week. There's a, there's a bunch of pieces. The Star did a piece. CNN did a piece. There's a, uh, yeah, I think the I Times would, did a I piece. I wouldn't recommend this at all. But yeah, people are, are grasping at straws. They're like, we want what Twitter does. We just don't want to play on Twitter's sandbox anymore, which is fine. It's just that the, right now there's no viable option. There's, there is, uh, outside of the established platforms, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter, TikTok. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, Mastodon is picking up speed. So, like, yeah, in terms of content and people are joining there, I mean, I've probably got like, I'm probably following about 150 people already that came over from Twitter. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it uh, continues to play out, whether it has the legs. I mean, obviously, none of these things is going to happen overnight, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how these things continue to evolve. If, yeah. You know. If you're a venture capitalist, you'd have to think that you're looking really hard, you know, trying to figure out where you want to drop your dimes because mm-hmm. there's got to be some dough to be made here yeah well i don't know it, 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 the thing about this is like what 
what people forget is Twitter, I mean, Tommy probably remembers this, Twitter started out as, a, as like Angry Birds. It was just sort of a thing. And mm. some people knew about it and a lot of people didn't, you know, I mean, I joined, you know, probably two, a year or two into it and um, it wasn't really much at first. It was, you know, um, and it, it kind of, you know, the, I think the developer community moved over to it, which is why we started going there. And, um, well, and know, the journalist community went to it quickly too, because it was so much more reactive and real time than Facebook was offering. Yeah. And it was, that, and that's it, why we went there. Well, I mean, yeah, but you got to remember too, Facebook, um, when, you know, around the same time as, as all this was happening, you could see everything on Facebook, right? Yeah, that's true. The algorithms weren't nearly as punitive as they are now. Well, now, I mean, now it's like, you know, if you don't give us money, we're not going to show your stuff. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's punishing the user, right? But, but the problem yep. is, is like, you know, the user doesn't know that. Yeah. Right. They don't, they don't get that. Well, they don't, they don't put it on front street. They're like, yeah. And well, and Twitter by the same, but is the opposite. You know, every, everything that goes up on Twitter, you get to see. But the thing about but Twitter is, it's like snowflakes. It's like, you know, a snowfall. You, you only see the top layer of snow, you know, when you, when you, when you hit Twitter, unless you're on it all day long, constantly yeah. scrolling, you're yeah. not really seeing, like, you know, if you're not on it first thing in the morning, you don't see the tweets from first thing in the morning. If you're not on it, you know, middle afternoon or late at night, you don't see the stuff, you know, in those time frames either, right? Same thing no, that's true, but then that's why they have, like, a trending feed and stuff like that, too. Like, for for those of us that spend our days on this kind of platform, like, you, you, you do get to learn how to use it just to, to maximize it. But you're right, it's 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 just, it, mm -hmm. it's a fire hose, right? We're on it all the time ourselves, because, I mean, Jaime and I use it as a source for stories for more than just code. So we're on yeah. it a lot, right? But, um... Yeah. But you can't do that with Facebook. And LinkedIn is the same thing. LinkedIn, LinkedIn is kind of, you know, if you get notifications about people you follow, but unless you go and prepare to scroll through it all, you're not going to see it, right? So, and actually, there, it's funny because I've, I've noticed as a, that Facebook, if you, even if you do the doom scrolling thing, you can go back like 100 posts or whatever, and then there's, it, it's over. You're done. It's all they're going to yeah. show you, right? Yeah. You know, that's how bad it is, right? But anyway. Um. Twitter, Twitter was a, was a decent play. Twitter was more, I don't know. It was before, you know, who, you know, who bought it. It was, um, it was kind of a democratic space. I mean, in that sense, you know, like they did. And I did like the fact that they got rid of the really, really nasty people. I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? Yeah. Uh, although it was like playing a game of whack-a-mole. The problem is, is that, you know, there's so many fake accounts and so much spam. Yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't fight it. But, and, and I think that somebody pointed out last week, I saw that statistic that 70% of the people that follow Elon Musk are robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we saw, uh, was it Instagram? Instagram did that two weeks ago, right? They did a bot scrub on yeah. a Sunday and we were mm -hmm. like, what's happening? And mm -hmm. in the end, for my for our work account, we lost like ten or fifteen or something like that, which is nice to know that really of the you know thousands that follow that that really there was only a handful that were bots. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, God forbid if, if if Twitter had ever done a bot scrub like that, man, it would be a bloodbath because there are so many bot accounts out there. Hmm. But you know, sometimes the bots had more interesting things to say, frankly, than the uh, the real folks. So. Yeah. Fake news, everybody. Yep. Alrighty. Gonna call it a well, day. Enjoy your Black Fridays. Jaime, you're you're gonna you're gonna go and uh elbow uh, a nun down a flight of stairs for a flat screen TV or something? 
the older and more pregnant the nun is, the better, right? They just get the trifecta <laughs> out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, no, I'll, uh, I'll be home. It's going to be kind of a casual working day because most people have the day off and definitely going to take a long lunch to watch uh, USA versus England World Cup. Oh, yeah, that'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, when's yeah. the next Canadian game on, John? It's not until next week, uh, Wednesday around Wednesday. Thursday. And if they lose, are they it's, out? Yeah, it's, it's no, no, no. They they still got. They, you get three guaranteed games. You ha- you're playing in the in the round robin part portion for the first chunk, so they guaranteed to play three games. Mm-hmm. The next game's Croatia, so I, I think it's on either Monday or Tuesday. Google says day, Sunday, but... November twenty seventh at eight a.m. Oh, Pacific, Croatia, Canada, and then after that is. Canada and Morocco on Thursday, December 1st at uh, 7 a.m. Pacific. So, you know, add three hours for your So it could all be over by next Thursday, but uh, I'd be happy if Canada would score a goal. So this is our second appearance ever in the World Cup, and so far we haven't scored a goal yet. So that would be a nice milestone to achieve here. So speaking of trending on Twitter, um, somebody posted here about Andor. Huge miss by the Macy's parade today not to have a Mava hologram t- balloon telling people to fight fascism <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right and just have like of... a bt unit driving right down the middle of the lane just you know showing a hologram yeah and lots yeah. of lots of rip king which is all tweets about boria solving yeah yeah cool all right all right guys talk to you later bye talk to you later see you next week bye yeah all right.